Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 515, this Wednesday, May 7th. Um, I feel like I should be promoting a monster truck pull or some type of nitro funny car race, but uh, I'm actually promoting that we are relaunching the Nerdist website on May 7th, completely redesigned with a snazzy mobile experience, cleaner. We're kind of evolving from a turbo blog into really, you know, more of an online magazine source of, um, you know, breaking news and... We're hiring a bunch of new people, different nerdists, experts, science, uh, gaming, um, movies, like all these really great things that I've always wanted to do. So I'm so, so, so excited about it, and I hope you like the site. Um, and, you know, if it's buggy for a couple days, that always happens when, you're, when you make a massive move from Turboblog to site. But, um, but it should stabilize pretty quickly, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. And I hope you like it. It'll be a very clean uh, experience and uh, so let us know. Let us know what you think. Um, uh, also, a bunch of live shows coming up. We're performing as part of the Wild West Comedy Festival at midnight live May 16th and 17th. And I'm doing stamp at Wise Guys in West Valley City, Utah, the 29th through the 31st. So go to Nerdist.com. Oh, and then Helium in Portland, June June 12th, 13th, 14th. Uh, go to Nerdist.com/calendar. And if it's after the oh, I think that's still going to be the URL. Let's say that it is. <laughs> Let's say that that'll still be the URL for that. I'd like to thank for sponsoring a uh, new sponsor this episode of the pod- podcast, Trunk Club. Trunk Club is where, uh, if you're a dude and you would like to discover awesome clothes and get help from a personal stylist uh, and you don't have to go to a store or anything, you go to Trunk Club. It takes the guesswork out of shopping. Uh, there's no upfront commitments or shipping costs. You basically just go there. It's a monthly subscription service. You answer a handful of questions, and then they assign a stylist to you who will send you clothes. They send you clothes, uh, and then that's it. It's that easy. And, you know, you just sort of develop a relationship with them where they figure out more and more the type of stuff that you that you want. Honestly, don't go to the store and then spend money on stuff that you're not sure about and then be stuck with stuff that you never wear. You'll get a dedicated stylist. It's, the clothing is awesome. Um, I'm, I've just set up my first one. I'm going to try it. I think Matt and Jonah are trying it as well, but I went to the website. It was great. Super easy. Um, so that's it. Trunkclub.com and uh, forward slash Nerdist. Again, that's trunkclub.com forward slash Nerdist. So thank you to Trunk Club for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast and, uh, and enjoy your snazzy new style. Uh, this is a this was a super fun podcast with John Favreau, who it turns out actually listens to the podcast, and and not just in a casual way. He was quoting stuff that you would really have to be 
a deep trench Nerdist podcast listener to know. And it always blows me away when people that I know know the thing that I do. Um, but what a fantastic, wonderful, I'm going to fucking say it again, delightful guest. He was goddamn delightful. Why would I use a different word when delightful is the perfect one? I know I use it a lot, but it's appropriate a lot. Um, John directed a movie called Chef that uh, Joan and I went and saw together, which was great. Uh, it opens May 9th, but so interesting to see, like, you know, just doing like a giant blockbuster movie, and then, and then, you know, Favreau Wright stars and directs this this much smaller movie that's a more intimate story that was really, really fantastic. Um, just about a guy uh, kind of getting his life together in in the culinary world, and uh, and the soundtrack was amazing, and it was just a really great, great little movie. So May 9th, uh, that opens, and uh, yeah, here we go. And the and you know, normally. I always feel bad, like, oh, I don't want to keep people too long, and, you know, but John really, he really seemed like he genuinely wanted to be there from start to finish, so this is a nice, this is a nice long chat, and, uh, and, and in, for, to be there, it never felt like it sagged. Like, the only sagging part right now is this intro, so I'm going to shut up now and give you John Favreau, episode 515 of the Nerdist Podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. Oh my god, you're wearing an Aspen shirt. I am. Hey, I'm, I mean, that's a shorthand. That's a comedian shorthand for U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Colorado. Yes. May it rest in peace. I was we, hoping people would just assume that was just like an Aspen, Colorado shirt that you got at the airport. That's right. <laughs> yeah. My, my parents went to Aspen and all I got was this. this but, you know what's interesting? Yes. Oh, good. What's interesting is we actually kind of uniquely occupy the same overlapping Venn diagram of comedy and nerddom yeah. that many, right? Because most of you guys, when I listen to the show, the cast, the pod, <laughs> I listen to the, whatever we're doing now, and the, there seems to either be a geek element to it or mm-hmm. there's a comedy element to it. Usually and I like both because yeah. I get both. Well, you were a people, D&D guy, right? Why do we we had to go right there? Yeah, didn't well, we? Yes, well you yes you set the table for for D. That, that's talk. how you know I'm I'm not deep nerd because I still feel uncomfortable. I've had dreams where I'm playing and I wake up feeling dirty. Did <laughs> <laughs> I talk to my sleep? Did you hear it? Did I cast a spell? Was yeah. there a saving throw? Because twice I dice in your bed. My wife would never have been with. I don't think I think I'm the first. But well, maybe not. That's not true. But it's I feel very self conscious about. That moment in my life because I was so unabashedly enthusiastic about it and then slowly realized that that was the first group I attached myself to in high school and then later years later found out what others thought of of, of, the, of the click I chose and then later a lot of those people would then come that's to see, right uh, films like uh, but Iron they Man. also became were uniquely qualified to actually create worlds and and understand game balance and all the and entertaining a group of people through storytelling that they're participating in. So between that and, and my improv background from when I spent time in Chicago, those two things that I thought were maybe more of indulgences ended up really giving me a very solid skill set that's uniquely qualified for the type of filmmaking that's very popular now. Yeah, cause, I mean, D&D is sort of like, uh, I think it can be like when someone says, I'm doing a one-man show. Like, the, <laughs> the wrong one is, is deadly, to be around, but yeah. the right ones are incredible. 
like such a. I mean, it's the perfect. It's the it's sort of the nexus of of math and fantasy as well. Well, the one the, the one time I thought about it could be cool was I th- it was on your show. It was George R R Martin. Wasn't he talking about? You really do listen to the yeah, show. Yeah, he talked about that he has a game and they come up with games. Yeah, and he's got. And he's for real. Like, wait, that's oh, the real, real guy. Like, yeah, well, yeah. I remember dudes like that. And he's yeah. like the fantasy of someone who got out of their their parents' dining room running yeah. the game <laughs> yeah. and actually, like, made a whole world that everybody uh, is invited into. Yeah. And But he is – he gets – he's got his street cred, I think. Oh, there's no question. Yeah. I mean, it, even just in the – like, the – I think the, 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 the terminal that he writes on and the old program that he writes on, like everything about it is just like he's – and he's kind of frozen in that time period. No, he's got the attitude perfect. <laughs> yeah. Like when you really hear him, not like – I'm not talking about like when he's doing, um, you know, like additional content for the – you know, for upcoming up on HBO. You right. know? But when you talk to him for a while – He's got the whole like not judging himself at all and oh, completely buys into the reality of the world. And and what's amazing is that it's such a from a storytelling standpoint, I, I reference Game of Thrones a lot, um, even in genres that have nothing to do with it, because what he does is like what Hitchcock did with Psycho, which is he will constantly tee you up in a way and and the way that the storytelling marketplace is now everything has to be very predictable marketable you, you tend to fall into patterns with movies that you see mm-hmm. they it's like rock and roll songs they all have the same structure they all have the same length you know what's going to happen halfway through you know it's going to start with a car chase or an adv- and a mid-act climax he knows that fantasy has all those tropes, and he will lull you down a path where you think you expect what's going to happen, and then he just completely he he, yeah. he one eighties on you. And I remember when uh, spoiler alert for season one, sure. Sean Bean uh, gets his uh, gets his uh, gets killed. Ned Stark and. Every cut that leads, I'm like, how is they going? How are they going to get out of this? Yeah. They're really cornering themselves. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, they're going to jump the shark. I'm like, she's not that good with a sword yet. I <laughs> said out loud. I said him. when that happened, I said out loud. I was like, I don't think they're allowed to do that. <laughs> no. like, no. What are you doing, Double R? Yeah. yeah. No, and that actually, uh, it, 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 it's um, even in I, the, the the thing I've, I've, I've done most recently that's coming out, Chef, that we'll talk about later. I hope. Yeah, is, we saw it. It's great. We'll yeah, talk yeah, about thank it. you, thank yeah. you. Uh, but there's a whole storytelling thing where you're building towards an outcome that in a normal movie would happen, and it's very hopefully confusing and off-putting when things don't turn out. Uh, you're surprised by the course of the way the movie goes. And when we were in the editing room on that, I, I kept saying, you got to play it as they did in Game of Thrones, where it, it's building to that moment as though something's going to save him. And you've even laid breadcrumbs with uh, with her training, uh, with the daughter's training with the sword, and people who you're cutting to in the crowd. You're waiting for you know Jack Sparrow to, to swing in on a rope and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and save him, and then and, and, or, or the you know the the sharpshooter to shoot the noose. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it never it never happened, and it, and it has the same effect of like the Twilight Zone episode. Was it Twilight Zone or was it an episode where you they say they're going to rescue the kid from the hanging? In the Western, I don't know. Oh, I think that was Twilight. I think that was, was Twilight, Twilight Zone. And they don't. It's like you're so shocked because you're so used to the tropes of a Western of being that. Yeah. And so he does it over and over. And now what's really impressive is that 
you know it's coming. So now you're not, you know, you're never relaxing. You're always watching. And then, and then the Red Wedding just knocked me on my ass again. Oh, like, so, I, you know, it, it's, it's a real, so, you know, again, for George R. R. Martin, who I've never met, but it, the, the story, and, and of, of course, Benny Off and, and everybody involved, it, it's just a testament to not just the way it's executed, but messing with the form and the structure. And don't you feel like that, that there is an, there is, Kind of a difficult line to ride, I think, between not being too predictable, but also not going so far off the map that people are like, oh, go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like where people just can't, they just don't want it. It is tricky, you know, and, and it's always, um, I remember a, a show I, I really enjoyed, Deadwood. You oh, know, that was, there were, I, I was with it and I love Milch and I love his whole thing. But there was a lot of the criticism that people who gave up on it or didn't hang with it till the end was that you're going too far afield from what the underlying expectations are. I, I didn't feel that way personally, but with with this one, he seems to really stick with the with the genre very strongly um, and very deeply and effectively, and then and then throws you enough curves to make it well. First of all, make it that you want to see it when it's when it's on, yeah. and not yeah. and not get spoiled by having to avoid Twitter for you know until you get to your DVR. <laughs> and I even found myself sitting there. Um, only slightly less embarrassing than playing Dungeons and Dragons, sitting there with my tablet on my knees and pausing the show so I could watch the uh, the, the second screen content. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I've never tried that. Yeah, I've it, never done that. That, that, that was me. I was there, like looking at. Well, also because I have a terrible memory, and it's like, who's that? Like, I, and it's amazing how much I enjoy it without knowing half of what's going on. Yeah, at any I, of these I shows. I don't know who these people it's are, the, but it's one of my great. favorite shows where I don't know the names of anybody. No, I don't. And I feel you know, and then you meet them, and you play uh, that guy. Don't you? Uh, don't, don't you sometimes, as a director, though, just kind of have these weird fantasies where you, so you take a movie like Chef, which is a very, it's a very real story. But just does one part of you at the end go, what if Leguizamo showed up with three dragons? Like, out of nowhere, <laughs> and the audience is like, what? You know? You do, you know, you ha- you, you, I've done it, and, and uh, versions of that, and, and then you're forced to, because that was, really, that's what the I Am Iron Man thing was. That wasn't originally part of the Iron Man uh, 1 script. And we just said, let's try it. Why not do it? And there was a freedom in, in that. And, and the Nick Fury thing wasn't much different than that. It was like, you know what would be good for the fans? Let's get, let's see if Sam Jackson will come in. Just for after Easter egg after the credit thing. And then, of course, then you actually inherit that logic and the canon of the film world. And then you have to backfill into, into those areas. But, but that reckless uh, creative abandon, I think, is what gives... All, all stories of spontaneity that people demand now because people are just too are, are, are such students of 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 the medium that they kind of know there's not a lot of things you could pull because all the stories have been done and done well now over and over again and you're, you're facing similar challenges so anytime you get through a curveball that's inspired and surprising and at the same time, f- does not feel like it conflicts with the with the internal logic of the thing. That, that's that's the type of that's the type of filmmakers I like to watch. Well, that, and that, that's what Vince Gilligan was masterful at. Yeah. with Breaking Bad is yeah, like for sure. is is because um, I saw a lot of other shows around the last couple seasons of Breaking Bad that would try to do these crazy turns, but just didn't quite have. Vince's finesse That's right. at justifying. That's right. You know, like, oh, what the fuck's going on? Oh, you've just explained that perfectly, and now I think there could not possibly be any other answer than that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, he was good. I mean, like Sopranos was great at throwing you curves, but there were there were ends that never, much like in life, that were never addressed again. So you never knew who or what was going to come back. But that was also a, a big step forward from what you're used to in, in that type of storytelling. And then, and then with Vince Gilligan, there was an incredible, you know, mathematic efficiency to the way things came back and paid off that I thought was great. And, he, and you know, you've talked to the guy. He doesn't, you can't imagine. He's such a nice, sweet, soft guy. <laughs> it's like, how does this yeah. come out of this guy's head? Yeah. He just, he's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, he just has this, he's got the perma smile. Like a guy at a guitar shop in Austin. That's what yeah. I'm kind of like. <laughs> I don't know. Man, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's funny, too, because it's like, it's like you have, uh, like rock groups got, could only go so far with the two-minute rock song, you know, rock and roll song. Mm-hmm. Where you had the standard, you know, you had the the the, the lyric, the bridge, the the chorus, chorus. There was a very limited structure, and then it's almost like when uh, album rock came out, like Dark Side of the Moon, or even like rock operas, like mm-hmm. Tommy yeah. or The Wall. The, it opened up a whole new pasture of room for uh, inspiration and, and creative freedom. And I think what's happening now in, in television, especially cable or or new media, Netflix, you're you're not confining the storyteller any longer to this hour and a half format or hour format or really 44 minute format or 22 minute format, depending on if you're talking about movies or hour television or half hour television. And so you're getting this. And I think the audience has tremendous capacity to organize these things and you could cut things much quicker and shoot them much more beautifully because audiences, I think, have become much more sophisticated. So when you when you see what these storytellers can tell, it's 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 really uh, gives people room to flourish and not just feel like they're retreading the same thing over and over again. I think that's why a lot of the well, for that and a number of reasons, a lot of the best content is really happening. I think on the small screen now, at least the stuff that I'm most compelled to and, yeah. and drawn to. And I also think it's why people are so. <laughs> I mean, I don't ever remember before the last few years people being such dickheads about spoilers, spoilers, don't spoil anything. Because like yeah. they crave it's so hard. These 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 kinds of surprises are to be you know whatever endorphins are released in that in those moments are are, are commodities. And now, so when people don't get them, they <laughs> yeah. just fucking they yeah. flip out. Yeah, and I, and I understand it to a degree. Because people assume that I've seen everything the second it comes out. And right. so they'll, I'm sure they do this to you, tweeting like, hey, can't believe so-and-so turned up at the end there. And you're like, god damn it, I didn't know Right, that I yet. know not to look. I mean, that's, that's also a, a, a skill and, a, and a, a, new, a new set of world skills, which is knowing when to look and when not to look and how deeply to read and to be able to actually have an automatic filtering system as you're scam- scanning over <laughs> things to know when to stop looking at something yeah. and not to get sucked into the void. Yeah. It started, I think, you know, with when I accidentally would, D- you know, DVR football games and then check Twitter and like, Oh no, 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 no good. Don't do that. <laughs> and then it started turning into things like when like game of Thrones or, or walking dead or something. I didn't want to see too much. And I follow people who are funny because they go right after it. And oh, yeah. they make real, like Patton Oswalt's like great yeah. at, yeah. you know, either live tweeting or, or just reacting in a very, um, in a very sincere way uh, of somebody who's clearly speaking from the heart and not trying to fashion tweets to keep the feed going. Right. You yeah. know? Uh, and so he's, he, 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 and then he's a comic and a, and a, and a geek. So it's like, it, it, I, I particularly enjoy his, his reading his stuff. But I have to know, don't, don't look at it, don't look at my feed unless I've done my job. And, and then, but then the House of Cards happened. I was like, okay, can I 
say something out yeah. what, what's the statute of limitations on a on a binge dump yeah. on uh, on Netflix yeah because people do that now when they release all the episodes at once everyone sees it and you, it's hard to talk about TV shows that way because you never know where yeah. anyone else stands it's just like it's like it's like oh did you walk out in the middle of the movie all right well then I won't talk to you about the rest of the movie right and so there's like there was a bit of a, everybody said that you get sort of like I guess till Tuesday if something was on the weekend or on a Sunday like there's <laughs> there's kind of acceptable half-lives of spoilers that people accept like I'm in yeah. like I'm watching Homeland the last season I'm half I'm almost done with the last season of Homeland watching it on on um on demand and I know that if I see a spoiler it's it's on me you know well, you know don't don't you know it's like ruining saying saying, saying elsewhere you know it's like <laughs> uh, but there are other things where it's like it's not you know if it's if it's east west coast time zone that's not fair you know no, no, that that's not yeah, fair yeah. but but we we've talked about things on the podcast before that are years old that people are like Hey, bro, spoilers. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it obviously wasn't that important to you if you haven't hopped on that train in the last few years. So I do feel that there, so I, I'm sure online there are some hard and fast rules. I just want a cheat sheet of like a spoiler cheat yes. sheet so that I can yeah. just send to someone and go, here's what you need to know. So that, that's why this is acceptable. <laughs> so I think like I think within six months. I could sort of understand. People get busy. Maybe they didn't catch up. But within six know. months, if, it, if they haven't seen it yet, then they're not going to see fair. it. That's not fair. That's not fair, though. If they're six such fans, if they're going to get so upset, then like, it's like, watch it. And don't like hold other people responsible for having seen it because they're real fans and saw it already. Yeah, I guess and they want to talk about it. You yeah. Know? And, 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 what is, and what is social media? Is it, is it the water cooler? I was listening to you talking to, to Will Arnett. It's like, my, my kids don't get upset like the people of our generation do because they know that when you're reading something on the internet, especially where it's an anonymous, you know, uh, posting, that's like getting mad at somebody scrawling something on the bathroom wall. <laughs> I know, but us, yeah. but, but the, for those of us who were, remember before, we equate that to someone walking up and exactly. saying like, oh, you're a piece of shit. Why did you say right. that? But it's not that. It's, it's no. really, it's almost, it's more like listening to, especially if you're doing a search, which I don't recommend. No, no, no. Uh, it's like putting a microphone at a water cooler. <laughs> so getting mad at somebody for get you know and I remember my first year here like I've been in town 20 years and when I first got here I came out of like I was doing comedy I was doing improv in, in Chicago IO right IO and and second city I was a dishwasher never never performed there oh, no. and, <laughs> and never got, but got More dishes watch. yes and look how clean they are that's right and I got to watch Farley and Mike Myers and oh my all God. the great you know all the Colbert and um, all all the these great Carell might have been in that Carell group too, was right? there yeah. Carell and Colbert and Dick Costello and who's the head of Twitter was in one of those groups oh, with Carell uh, was he? yeah I don't know if I overlapped then I was there for about four years Amy Sedaris uh, Amy Sedaris who's was there chef. who's in Chef yeah, and was in Elf yes yeah. an elf, yeah. she's just she's a, a murderer yeah I, one of my she favorites she is she's like the one when people say women aren't as funny as men it's like just point to her and it's like <laughs> <laughs> She's the Larry Bird of yeah. comedy. I mean, what a, that, that was, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's when you, they're sort of like, um, uh, there are t- kind of time-stamped regional periods of magic in comedy around the country, yeah. and that is one of those, like, one of those mega classes where you're like, that person and that person, yeah. and that, like, what All was the in the fucking room? water? Yeah. And when I, but when I was selling t-shirts and checking coats downstairs, <laughs> uh, there was a book about the history of Second City, and it felt like, oh my god, lightning struck here like three times already. Like, is yeah. this not, is this not where you want to be digging for for treasure? 
Uh, did it move someplace else? Because it's coming to the scene of the crime didn't seem, you know, you questioned it. And then sure enough, there was a whole new wave of, you know, Tina Fey. I mean, every, these, yeah. all these smart, great people with really good it, it, it's a, it was a very good training ground because it, it was Chicago specifically was a place where people weren't, it wasn't like showcases. You weren't hoping to get maybe once in a while a scout would come through town for something for SNL or for uh, a movie that was casting supporting roles. But for the most part, you were putting up a show. The community there would come out to see the show. And if you had a good show going, you would fill the theater with not just friends and family, but people who just wanted to go out and have a good time and, and see some comedy. And you were forced to learn how to write, how to act, how to edit, how to direct. You would, you know, uh, the UCB was a, a comedy group yeah. back then that came, that was sort of the generation. Like that, like if I was a junior, they were the sophomore class and it was McKay was in there and Horatio Sands and Matt Besser, uh, Matt Walsh. It was yeah. a, you know, but that was just a group of people who were just doing shows at bars in Wicker Park, and it turned into a theater thing. Now, in retrospect, it seems like such such a significant thing. But there was, you know, everybody had a group, and you'd write sketches, and it was very disposable. Your writing because it was good for a week, so you never got that. You never got that foreboding feeling that a writer does when you are like, "I'm writing my screenplay. It has to be perfect," or an actor who went to college for, went to like Yale drama, there was always this um, reverence for acting, which, you know, makes them great actors, but it also makes for each audition or every time you do your craft, the stakes are much higher. It's a fucking lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I, I just kind of like the, yeah, you know, well, it's, it's fine if it works out great. <laughs> that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of what it was. And, and, and it's also a very uh, team, it's a team sport, you know, and I know you're more stand-up, uh, but there's a, there was a, a big differentiation that if, if you were ambitious and wanted to be, uh, you know, top dog, it was it, it you kind of had to sublimate that because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you were a team and you had to pass the ball three times before somebody took a shot. I mean, yeah. that was the mentality. And anybody who was showboating the whole it, it wouldn't be good for them either. The whole the, the team would lose. And so you were forced to learn to rely on each other, set each other up, and and it, so it was much more of a sport. And it wasn't really you didn't have directors; you would coach. You'd, you'd, you'd give somebody, you'd, everybody would throw a few bucks in a hat to have one of the more experienced improvisers come and coach you, and watch your show, give notes afterwards. But it was never directing, uh, and so there was a, a, a very, a, a really nice infrastructure that has, that uh, it continues in the movie business um, among directors certainly there's a, there's an idea of hey come check out my movie what do you think or come you know uh, come to the editing room look at this you know and it's a very supportive environment in in an otherwise highly competitive line of work which is the part that I really have grown to appreciate more so than all the things I thought I'd like about That's really it. interesting uh, you say that because I was just um, Greg Proops was on at midnight last night and Blaine Capatch who's another comic is one of our writers and they've they were in San Francisco at the same time in the late 80s, early 90s. Like just kind of at the end of the comedy boom, like right before right. what is classically labeled as alternative comedy sort of right. birth right. out of San Francisco. And Blaine said that at the time, um, so much of the stand-up scenes that he had been around were really competitive. And they'd see someone funny on stage and be like, ah, fuck that guy. I can fucking do that. He said that right. San Francisco was the first time 
where people would go, where other comics would look at someone on stage and go, that guy's really funny yeah. and want to like learn and hang yeah. out and yeah. grow and be communal as opposed to, you know, this sort of isolated. I mean, I think stand up definitely lends itself to more isolation than the other comedy arts because it is you do do it alone. But and, and you are mainlining too. Like when you when you kill alone on stage, it there's nothing else that exhilarates and freaks your you know, your 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 it's hitting your like glands in your brain that it just releases yeah. all of these but it's cortisol and but when a group though like if you have another person or a group of people there is sort of a band thing where it's like oh my god like when you discover that you're all somehow on the perfect wavelength yeah. and everything is just like, there's a zone that's a whole yeah. separate but I've done yeah. I've done both right and I'm telling you that the stand up who's there alone is like MMA I just beat the <laughs> other person like it's you against the audience and there is nothing there but your you know but your training and your yeah. wits and your muscles and your pain threshold and your nerve with with uh, improv there's always that you know it's like it's like being a marine like i'm going to help you over the wall but we we're here for each other it's like yeah. lo- at best it's like lone survivor right. you know? <laughs> and then when you and when you get crushed it's like that too yeah. it's like you all go down helping each other out but it, it's it, it's a different vibe i think it's a better I, I think that everybody's got both instincts right everybody sort of wants to shine everybody wants to be supportive but the improv community tends to punish people for uh, putting themselves in front of the group whereas the, in stand-up your you know, ambition is rewarded and the more you the scrappier you are uh, sometimes it, it tends to be the, you know, the people who, who go the furthest are the ones who are going to travel for the most shows work their way up the, the, the food chain faster uh, I think both learn I think what happens though is as you get absorbed into the community those stand-ups become writers or performers or actors, and they learn those skills later and, and grow to appreciate it. And then the people who come out of the improv background also learn, like, they, hey, you gotta you gotta produce some jokes here. You gotta <laughs> yeah. you gotta be productive, and that's not that's never part of the process when you're you know talking to the coach at halftime. <laughs> you know? Well, it's inter- it's interesting to hear that part of your background, and then you know to see you know, I, I saw Swingers in the theater when it came out. And to wow. see, because you could have easily just made that movie just about yourself. Yeah. And the other approach is, no, let's have a bunch of characters in there, and they're all really strong. And yeah. everyone's sort of like, that's, that's kind of what supports the structure of the film. Thank you. Yes, it, it is. And I made myself a stand-up there. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to an improviser. Uh, <laughs> Comedy Union. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, I've always liked to, I've always been a supporting player i've been a character actor and i've I've had my moments where i've got to play good parts but but the fact is my my sensibility comes from from that training and and when you're a character actor you're there to support you know you're there to set up and you you get your moment you get you get to you get to show off once in a while and and if you steal a scene everybody's happy even the lead usually because the lead's like oh this one scene i don't have to worry about you know (laughs) you're helping my movie and you know, you need people to 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 carry you along when you're the main dude. And like in Chef or 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 Maid or, or Swingers, you know, they're the supporting character shine more more so than myself. Well, because your character has the task of having to drive the story forward. And when you're, you know, it's sort of like if you're driving the bus, you can't fuck around in the back of the no, bus as much right. because you have to keep the bus on the road. Yeah. And other people can kind of like, Wah, you know, I I would way rather be. Uh, 
not the lead. So you could, there's no pressure. You just come in and yeah. do your thing and then leave, and you then the other guy's got to deal with it. You yeah. come in and you kill it, and, and it's great, and I love doing it, whether it's one scene or, or four scenes or the whole movie. And then you have all other people who have been leads and could be leads coming. You know, you had like uh, Vince in, in, in uh, Swingers in May just, you know, crushing it. In this one, you got Leguizamo, who's just like in top mm-hmm. form, hasn't, you know, he's always had the chops, but I haven't seen him do this particular thing in a while. And he just is, you know, we, and I encourage, I do multiple cameras. I encourage improv as long as you're on story. Mm-hmm. And if you could beat what's there, let's do it. Let's try it. As long as it feels natural and doesn't feel like you're trying to score. Yeah. But if you could improvise within the reality of the moment, I love that. I love all the directors I look up to do that. You know, I worked with Scorsese. I had very lucky to do a small role in Wolf of Wall Street. I got to watch his process. And what'd you pick up? You know, that's it. It's, it's all about, first of all, he's extremely enthusiastic. He laughs, and if you want to change something, he'll he gives you tremendous freedom to do that. And he'll come in and, and pay attention, and he'll be the first audience member to laugh at it and enjoy it. And then he'll give you guidance as to how you should shift it or adjust it. And I got to do that a little bit. I was very nervous, to be honest with you. But uh, watching <laughs> watching Jonah Jonah work, I got to be there with, with Jonah working with uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, and then Rob Reiner was there who. I would have been starstruck about, you know, if it was if he, if he were directing. So it's like the yeah. the whole thing was was hyper real. And then Scorsese, you know, if you saw Swingers, you know, I've been I've been pretty <laughs> fixated on this guy for a while. Did he see Swingers? Did you talk about it? I don't it? know if he did. I think I think people tend to uh, stop really watching films with the same degree of awe and attention from when they begin doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's pre-you. Like, I know, like, I look at Tarantino differently than I'll look at new filmmakers today. I'll appreciate what people are doing, but they really have to score tremendously for, for them to knock me on my ass and, and turn me into somebody who thinks of them in the same light as I think of people like Tarantino or Scorsese or, or people that I grew up watching or, you know, or were doing it before I broke. Yeah. Do you think we... Uh do you think it's because we sort of, when we're when we're younger, we see something that changes our yeah perspective, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, well, I, you know, it's not everyone is going to change your perspective every single time you see something, yes. and you're it forming, just gets frozen, you're imprinting on it, and yeah. it's like I could not even fathom thinking about how to improve Blazing Saddles. Like, <laughs> I couldn't give a note like that part slow, or yeah. they should have cast this person instead of that. You know, I'm curious. I'm I'd, I'd be curious to see, you know, uh, you know, the version of it uh, um, starring uh, Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor like that. Like to me, that's like when I see the documentary on Richard Pryor, it's like, oh, my God, what would that have been? Like, I'm curious in an alternate universe kind of way. But I think it's perfect. I think Bad News Bears is perfect. Oh, yeah. my I went, God. I haven't I, seen that movie in ages. It's so good. There's yeah. that movie would. Did they try to remake it? They, they did. did. They did with uh, Billy Bob Thornton as the lead. Oh, that's right. That's Who right. Directed right. it. Linklater. I, I did. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't see it. But I mean, see, that just shows you. It's like. It's like. I'm sure it's good. I've heard it's good. Yeah, the, but in the, the 70s was really the time when we could let kids uh, drink and drink. be racist yeah, and, and ride motorcycles. <laughs> ride motorcycles without yeah. helmets. Play baseball. Kids gonna play be baseball. Super sexist. And, like, just yeah. But it. But it wasn't. You know. It's again judged by the time. It wasn't done to shock. No. It wasn't shocking like it is now. And you. You know. It's tough. Because if I showed my kids it, it would be shocking. Sure. But growing up then, it felt 
just of the time. You know, it's like how people watch South Park now. It's yeah. like, hey, that's how kids talk. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, and and that was what was nice. And and I tried to actually in, in, in Chef have the kid be that kind of, you know, let the movie be an R. Let not get held by the standards of what studio comedies would be and just make the movie as small as I had to to preserve the language you would have in a kitchen and let you know that it's not going to be squeaky clean and it's going to be kind of rough around the edges. And I don't think that, you know, a movie, it's, I don't think it's, it's binary. I don't think that either you're a rough, shocking film or you're a movie with heart and a nice message. What I liked about the movies when we were growing up is they were rough, but they, they, were, they were like life-affirming, good messages. It wasn't just a shock parade. Mm-hmm. You know, there were shocking aspects to those movies, but then there was also, uh, there was also very traditional storytelling. Well, motifs. it served the story. Like, the shock stuff served the story. It wasn't just to get the audience to be like, whoa. You yeah. know, it was like, yeah. this, is, this is a very organic piece of who these characters are, and these are necessary to inform you all the, yeah. what, you, what you need to know. And let the bad dad be the bad dad. Or, yeah. and so that when he becomes a good dad, then it means something. But everything within our, in our culture of so many voices in the process right now, and the stakes being so high and, and, and fighting for relevance and urgency in the marketplace, especially with a film that's not a effects-driven big you know, gravity or superhero movie where you want to see it big. And if you don't see it big, you feel like you're not getting your money's worth out of it. The smaller films, you know, especially I I get screeners because I'm in the Academy. It it really says a lot. If I'm going to get a sitter, I got three kids. I'm going to get a sitter, go out and watch a movie in a theater versus waiting a few months for it to pop up on Apple TV, right? you know, on iTunes. So it's, you know, you, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, hand wringing on the parts of the people who are releasing these things that you don't want to alienate groups. You want to make sure it travels. You want to make sure it works for all the quadrants. And the only way to to combat that is either do it on the small screen or bring your scope and and, and budget down to the level that it doesn't take that. You don't have to please everybody all the time. You could you could really please a smaller group very much. I would rather have a very loyal, smaller audience for a, for a movie like this than, a, than a, a bigger audience where everybody gets every joke. And that's just a, you know, because I have to, with the big ones, you've got you've to concern yourself with, with everybody because you need everybody to show up for, it to, for people not to lose money. Well, where, uh, where do you think this, this idea of, like, it takes, it's going to take a lot for, to get me out of my house to go see a yeah, movie. Yeah. So then, is that... Is that a little scary at all in terms of like is it, there seems to be more pressure on the film industry to make movies that will get people out of their yeah. house and not just go oh I don't that doesn't I could just see that on cable yeah that's what you're seeing and that, and that's why there's a whole budget level that you're not seeing movies getting greenlit at mm-hmm. and and sadly that's the budget level that led to most best pictures you know and there's a lot of movies that you could go down the list it's like Dog Day Afternoon Dog Day Afternoon would now be a HBO movie or right <laughs> and 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 maybe 10 years ago it would have been an indie and and 30 years ago it would have been a studio movie. So I think that there's still being good work good works being done it's just not in the cinema it's not in the theaters. Uh and now with new media coming up cuz it used to be DVD protected you. So even if you had those big blockbusters video and DVD came in and and there was that window to recoup. So if you did something that was more ambitious and even if it couldn't compete out there in the marketplace or in the foreign territories because it was too specific to your culture or to a specific uh, 
audience, they still knew that in, in the DVD window you'd, you'd make your money back. It might take a year, but you'll, you'll, you're pretty safe to budget something in the $40 million range that had some stars and was, was ambitious. Then, then with uh, you know, online theft and piracy, it, that, that completely got sucked out of the equation, and so you had to make your, mo- your money back uh, in, in, at the movies. So either the budget went way down or it, was, uh, or it was something that everybody wants to come to. And now with foreign markets being so, so important, more important than the domestic, it's got to travel. So it can't be too specific to our culture either. What's happening now is new media is coming back up. And it, it had been you know, trading, what was it, uh, digital pennies you were getting, you were trading for, for uh, analog dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and now each year those pennies have doubled and now, for the first time, if you combine new media and home video, it's actually gone up again. So this, this falling off a cliff curve that home, home video had had is now changing. And so you're going to start to see smaller movies have better budgets as that begins to grow hmm. and as we learn to monetize that window better. And, and now you know, you're starting to see movies get better, I think, because of that. And... And so, yes, you've got these tremendously robust, big, huge movies that are using technology and universal storytelling and effects and drawing great actors to them because there's not a lot as much work as there had been. Uh, and, and, and there are good versions of those. Like, I'm not disparaging, and I, 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 I like working in that environment. But there's a, there's a, a narrow swath of stories you can tell that, that tick all those boxes. And every once in a while, you want to do something that's more personal, like how I started with Swingers and Made. And, and, and when an idea of, like for Chef comes and I, I'm able to have this fully formed script in my head and write it as quickly as I did Swingers and, and just see the whole thing and know that I could do it for not a lot of dough and have something that I feel very connected to, it's, it's nice to be able to find a, a, a channel through which to do that and knowing full well that, you know, really I want to just make enough money back to, to not punish the people who believed in me. Uh, but also I know that if you put something really good out there and something you really believe in, that that audience can find it now. And, you know, Swingers made, I think, five million, six million of theaters. And, but everybody's seen it. And Rudy was like number two when it came out, but everybody has seen it. There is a cultural reference and Elf, you know, Elf did well in the theaters, but it's but because of TV and, and because of, uh, you know, it being in the Christmas rotation, it is now part of the culture. And as the next generation comes up, it's really fun for me to see people who who who's who form their opinions growing up in an environment where they were seeing the work that I did at a younger age. Elf is really interesting because I, from what I heard, just the way that um, I mean, I don't know if most people understand this, but. Television and film are two completely different islands, yeah. and there's a giant wall in between them. I, I, I think television is definitely more aware of film, but from what I've understood in my limited involvement with film, is that the you know, like film head studio heads yeah. don't really know or give that much of a fuck about TV, yeah. and so that Will Ferrell, who yeah. t- in everyone's mind was like, oh, he's a comedy superstar, was still a tough sell. To, yeah. to, to lead a movie because they're like, well, who gives a fuck? I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Yeah, halfway. Well, when we started, the only film he had done a lead in, I think, was Night at the Roxbury, right? right so yeah. it wasn't, but Old School was in the can. And I had actually visited the set of Old School because I was visiting Vince. It was, it, so I, I got the sense that something really good was happening there. Uh, even on the set, there was a, a fun vibe to it. Uh, 
and that movie not just you know it, it really knocked Vince to another level uh, and 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 of course you know you know Will was just all of a sudden that I think it was like the biggest R-rated comedy at that point yeah. ever and so halfway through the production of Elf there was this infusion of enthusiasm for him but in the beginning it was it was seen as a concept film you know uh, and and it was, you know, it was, a, it was a bit of a nail biter for a lot of people involved because here finally Will did uh, appear on the scene in a very big way, and they had been trying to get Anchorman made even before Elf, and he couldn't get that made. Uh, and immediately thereafter, he did, and and so it, you know, everything kind of the, everything the sun began to shine on his career, and and his talent was revealed in a way that you may have known, but the general public only kind of associated him with SNL, which. Those people sometimes it works out for them, and sometimes sure. it doesn't. Yeah. And so he became a proven commodity out there in the in the film marketplace. And and then, but people were like, "Is this movie too soft for the audience that is clearly coming out for him because of old school?" Because that was a pretty rough R. And I remember testing. It was we tested uh, Elf with we had two tests in one day, and the first test was with young kids. And it tested through the roof. And then, but then I realized that, no, every movie tests through the roof with young kids. <laughs> so like, don't, don't celebrate. Don't celebrate too fast. Uh, then the next group was kids with piercings and, you know, right. and flannel shirts. And I think it was before tattoos. So, and it was like a, a, a kind of a rough and ready alt slash comedy uh, uh, college crowd. And they were saying, now, don't worry. We just want to see how it plays with this group. Don't. Don't concern yourself with it. We like the movie. We know it plays for kids. It's going to be good. And I snuck in the back of the theater. I watched it. And when my, when my credit came up, even then, there was applause. And I was that was the first time that I ever felt. And where would they have known me from? It could only be swingers, right? That was all I had done before that. Swingers are made. And so they liked, they gave the movie. And then when Will came on, they went crazy, they loved him. And when all the Rankin Bass, like, stop motion little animals yeah. that the kids didn't get and thought were weird, <laughs> yeah. all the people who were, like, in their 20s thought, oh, it's, a, it's oh, commenting yeah. on our childhood and the Rankin Bass things. And that's when, that's when I really started to feel uh, – and it tested very well with them. And, that's, and then there was no more discussion of, uh, creatively in post-production. It was like, let's finish the movie. We got it. And, and then they came up with a really good campaign with Will in that outfit and, and just – Billboards with him in the suit being like boxed in by this big elf on a little billboard. So it was like the first time I had a magic moment with a movie because everything I'd either acted in or done had there's been a there's been a, a high watermark of like it did great in a festival or got acquired or had a good weekend. But then as it went out into the big marketplace, it it it, it, it disappeared quickly and then and then found life on video. But there was always a little bit of a sad ending to all of it. This was the first time that it was, you went to the, visited the movie theaters and it was they were like adding shows and oh, wow. it was packed houses. And, and when you're doing a comedy, that's sort of your dream, right? Because you're a comic. But when you're a comic, you're up on stage sweating it out, whether you're doing improv or stand-up. You're sweating it out and you don't even remember how the set went if it was good. You just know that you killed <laughs> or you didn't kill. But you're not enjoying anything. You're up there. You know, you're dancing. You're Daffy Duck eating gasoline up yes. there, right? <laughs> but when you, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I can only do it once. <laughs> and, then, and then when you do a movie and you direct it or you're in it, even better when you're in it because they're – I don't know, there's something about seeing you getting a laugh, but even when it's not you, when it's the people that you've, you know, helped pull together, 
and you sit at the back of the theater and they're laughing at jokes that are all pre preloaded into the movie. You don't have to do anything but sit and watch. And you're getting laughs and you're passively watching people laugh at that thing that you've been just tearing apart over and over again, putting back together, scrutinizing, defending, getting good notes, bad notes, people telling you this joke will never work and then it kills. Like That's like uh, there's this whole uh, kaleidoscope of emotions that you feel. And that fantasy that I always had about sitting in the theater and watching people watch something good that I was involved with, that's still something that makes you keep going back to the theater when it's out because you know that it might be out on DVD, but you're, ne- you're never going to get to see it again like this. And so it's like, okay, one more weekend. <laughs> and you go, and, it's, and I've had the opposite where you where the agent gets the limo, you drive around, and you're there for the you know, opening night. Hey, we're at the Chinese theater. You go, and you see PCU, and there's like one person in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the focus puller. That was yeah. the focus puller. It was the only other person in the theater. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, at least there's one person. Hey, John. <laughs> Do you want to come into the limo? Because there's exactly. room. So that was uh, sad, and I've had Zathura also. PCU. Oh, my God, PCU. I remember when that came out. That was supposed to be like... This is going to be like Animal House all over again. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I remember when they b- promoted it that way. Sure. Right. Well, Animal House is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Animal House is maybe one of my favorite movies, uh, if not my favorite. And, and you want to be part of it. You know, you want, and it, and it was, and I think there was a, I, I, I still, there are people who really like it. Now, again, there's a whole generation of people who grew up watching it. Yeah. And, and there are good moments to it. It was, it would have been better if it were an R and a little bit more rough and ready and a little less uh, tempered for the studio. It certainly couldn't have made less money. So <laughs> I don't know. That's a, those, are, those are things that those are things that stress me out. You know, if everyone if anyone ever says to me like, "Do you want to be a director?" and I'm like, "No, I don't. I would never want to be a director because there's not only all the political stuff. I mean, like you're the focal point of all of it. You're the go between between the studio ultimately and the actors yeah. and the editors and, and everything. And so. To me, it's so frightening because there are so many fail points that aren't fully in your control. And then also, there's a million different ways to cut something. How the fuck do you know when it's done? It's not That, that, that part of it's actually not as hard as you might think, and I think you'd be very good at it because you're smart and you're a student of, of film and you know comedy. The, the hard part is the first part, which is how do you navigate through the politics of it? And, and and it varies so much from film to film. And I, I you know, and you think that with success you get more freedom and it's actually the opposite's true because as something grows in popularity it becomes a brand and it becomes there are so many more voices of people who are who have a vested interest in the oh, they're protecting the they're getting over protective mother that's syndrome. Right. That's right. And, and and understandably, by the way. They, they they write big checks and they want to make sure that, you know, uh, and you're getting paid well and they want to make sure that you don't kill the goose as you're doing it. And it's a and so it's it, I equate it to like improv. If you're you know, I started off there was, you know, Del Close would teach uh, you know, long form improv, the Herald, and you would get one suggestion and explore that suggestion with a group of people for half an hour. Then there's other gigs that are like corporate gigs or industrials that you would take for money where you go and they give you like a list of all the people's names you have to mention. Yeah. <laughs> Bob the and pro- accounting. The, <laughs> the yeah. product Freedom. line that's coming out. Yeah, exactly. And it would be really funny if you did a thing and you're, and you're there at some like, you know, closed audience sales conference. And it, it became a matter of satisfying all the, all the prerequisites of, of this gig. But you were never going to hit the 
level of inspiration that you would if you're doing an exploration. Sure. And so there's always going to be a balancing act between doing something that you're excited about and inspired by and have freedom to, but then you're also dealing with the commerce aspect of the show business. And you don't want to, you know, and, and also now the fans feel like they own, especially if you do sequels or a piece of material that they feel connected with, you have to make sure that you are, it belongs to them in many ways. So if you come back and do uh, a sequel or a remake or, um, you know, uh, take a, 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 a book, a, a set of novels that they love, they feel that they have a certain ownership over that, and they do. Well, yes, because they're attaching, I mean, if someone is a hyper fan of something, let's call him Iron Man, right? And they've attached their identity to it, and then you express a version of that that is antithetical to that, then you are not just hurting something they love, you are attacking their core identity. Right. right. And so, and the, and... And now the internet, they can let you know that. And, and the trick, the trick, I think, is to find the that brand that has enough, um, is robust enough that you, that it, it warrants getting a big movie, yeah. right? Because it's more about brands now than about people. Right. Really, it's an era of marketing and branding. So, you you need a brand that gives the studio the confidence to put the money in, but you don't want so much of a predisposition. To how it should turn out, that it's dick that you're operating out of fear. Sure, and that's the balancing act, you know. And with Iron Man, we were very fortunate because it wasn't a studio; it was a negative pickup. It was it was a small. It was it, nothing was expected of it. It was if if we had the success rate of like a Fox uh, superhero film, the, everybody would have been happy. They would have gotten uh, made their money. It wasn't going to be a star driven thing. There was a, as long as we hit the limited budget that we needed to do, and we had some good trailer moments, and we made a solid film, and didn't hurt the new Marvel studio, uh, then we were, you know, we were pretty much in the clear. And people didn't know Iron Man, and no, you that's know. why it was such. A, not, not only did they not know Iron Man, but Robert Downey Jr. hadn't really been super in the public up to that point because of stuff. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, when, you know, now it's sort of a no-brainer. You go, oh, yeah, Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., of course. But at the time, I remember when it, when it was announced, I was like, really, Iron Man? All right. Okay, well, that's an interesting, you know, because it wasn't like Iron Man was at the forefront no. as yeah. a character, and he was not at the forefront as an actor at that point. No, no, but everybody, like, it caught something. And I really contend that casting is most of my job. He's fucking Tony Stark. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's... It, if I could get tone and casting right, that's most of it. And and when I knew if I could get him, I, I sat with him, and you know he was you know he was somebody who'd been up for other. I think he had like met on Doctor Doom, like he had been around trying to. And I was the only one who showed up to that meeting, you know, when when we brought him in. Uh, and there was you know, and Kevin wasn't Kevin wasn't running the show yet. It was it was Avi still running the show. It was there was a transition during the making of Iron Man. I remember it was one of the first first conversations, like deep closed door conversations, I had with Kevin when we were discussing who's it going to be because there were a list of actors that were all right, and 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 he and I definitely bonded on that. Like this is this might this we should not give up on exploring this possibility which led to the screen test and once everybody saw what he could do there was nobody who you know everybody was on the side of of robert getting the part and it was a bit of a it was a bit of a you know you didn't know 
how serious he was about his career because he had been serious in the past. And, but he had many years of just really showing that he was going to relentlessly go after this now. Not just this role, but just the career. He was ready in his life to, to grow. And it was about a movie about a guy who, was, who grows. And, you know, there's only a couple Joseph Campbell myths to tell in the superhero world. It's either you're the kid like Spider-Man who comes of age, or you're the person who's lost their way, who rededicates their life. Or the collapse of somebody who's at the top when fighting, you know, fighting to, to keep the belt. But that's a much harder, that's a much harder uh, myth to tell in a way that's rootable. But Robert, the rebirth uh, of somebody who has tremendous capacity and talent, who finally is like knocked into place by, you know, oftentimes hitting bottom or trauma. In the case with with Tony Stark, it was it was the kidnapping and and the and and being uh, you know held held prisoner, uh, and then he comes out of that cave with a, a renewed reborn. And Robert was so ready to play that, and the audience was so ready to accept him doing that and <laughs> and was really rooting for the guy and and then I, I knew if I could get him that I, I understood what every choice in the movie should be you know and that's how it works as a director you get you got to get excited you got to get something that's going to pull you through that two years and, and keep you keep you uh, of unified vision and then allow people around you to join in that vision have a consistent vision because truth of the matter is in a big movie you're doing a very small amount of the work as a director. You're relying tremendously on other people of, of this huge support system of hundreds of people that have to be pulling the sled in the same direction. And as long as you could communicate that vision and inspire them that this is a worthwhile endeavor, then they all kick in. And these are, I'm not just talking about people on your crew, I'm talking about like the people at ILM, the people at Skywalker Sound, I'm talking about writers, I'm talking about actors, extras, ADs, PAs, people locking up the parking lot. If you have everybody humming and spinning like a top, the movie's going to have this momentum that is palpable when you watch it. And it all comes from having the right take on it. And that's why directing is a much harder gig in many ways than, than others. Writing's tough too. It's hard to fake it. But you really have to have your heart in it to be operating at full capacity. And if you're not operating at full capacity, you're not you're not the same person. But these types of films tend to work well when the director has a bit of a um, comedy gene. I think so. I mean, like, you know, Sam Raimi or Joss yes. or you. Like, yes. there's something about uh, just infusing a little bit of that into it that just kind of makes it, I don't know, it just elevates it in I a think, way. I think so because it's, I think the, 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 for the type of comedy I enjoy, the, the, the basic, the seed of it is observation. Right, it's it's noticing the truth of a, of a moment or situation and commenting on it, and that's really what what hewing hewing down to uh, to to the to the core. Uh, uh, Brighton Beach Memories, um, uh, Doc. What what the the writer's name? Neil Simon. Neil Simon. Neil Simon said, "Your job is to show what this is really like." This is that's what odd couple. This is what it's really like for two divorced people to be living together who are opposites. This is what it's really like, and the implication of that is that there's a deeper truth that is relatable that you want to demonstrate. And I think the the storytelling and comedy is is this comedy is just like this shorthand to storytelling where you could say in a comment or uh, 
an observation that makes people laugh. And laughter comes from recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, there's pattern, there's establishing and breaking patterns, and that's, that's, that's math. That's the math of comedy, and I like to do that with Will Ferrell jumping on the Christmas tree or uh, Robert smashing into the ceiling with the boots that are too, mm-hmm. you know, too, too powerful. You know, and I love that kind of con- – I love Buster Keaton. I love that stuff. But there's a type of comedy that comes from observing what the essence of a moment is and portraying it generally in an exaggerated way to draw, draw attention to it. And to me, and that's my improv training, all was about heightening and exploring, heightening, heightening. What's the game of the scene? Yeah. What's the yeah. game? Once you know the game, you heighten the game, heighten it, heighten it till it transforms. And you use those rules, whether it's leaving messages on the answering machine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go too far with this girl. I'm going to live out a full relationship on yeah. an answering machine until she finally picks up the phone and then I hit my low point of the movie. You know, and I, in every movie I do, there is a, there is a heightening uh, and transformation. And those are the rules I learned from, you know, that, from being on stage. Because when you're on stage with other people... You're writing in real time, and you're both partnering up, and you have to make a cohesive scene that has an out that will be edited by the back line. And you both have to be playing that same game. And Heighten, heighten and Transform was, was always the one that would lead to uh, the comedic, both, both comedy and truth. And that's what, that's what Del Close always talked about. You know, it, it's okay. To, it's good to be funny, but don't, don't aim for funny. Aim higher than funny. Aim for truth, and you'll hit funny on the way. And even if you don't get funny, you're gonna. Something, it's gonna be worthwhile for people to watch it. You'll be getting at something more. So, again, I really think the foundation uh, uh, that I look at. And not every director is the same, but for me, that's been my my path. My path has always been through storytelling, through through the rules, essentially the rules of improv. How do you how do you take it if you know because you know you spend a lot of time working on a you spend a lot of time working on a movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously. So, you know, a lot of times that goes really well for you, but times that it hasn't, do you take it well or do you take lessons from it or do you, do you beat yourself up it's, for a while? It sucks because I care. I really care what people think and you really shouldn't. Uh, I, I know not to delve into the, the swamps of, of, of the Internet to, to, to punish myself. But if the feeling, I do get a sense of the zeitgeist, and if people missed, you know, like with Cowboys and Aliens, they didn't, I felt like I really had something so special uh, that I had navigated a, a, a much more complicated terrain of so many people who I respected so much being involved and wanted everybody to be happy and satisfied with the collaboration and, and getting to pick the brain of these great people like you know and to work with like Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig and Spielberg and Ron Howard and it was it was such a a a lovely experience for me and I was I was sad that it didn't it wasn't embraced as something that was seen as a as a, a a celebration it was scrutinized and people made fun of the title and you know it like limped to to 100 million and I I hope everybody made their money back but it wasn't after the experience of working on, you know, being part of, you know, uh, the the first lap of the of the Marvel dynasty, and what how um, elating that how how exciting it was to to march into Hall H with nobody knowing what you were doing, and then to march out with applause from showing the first footage of. Some I of those was things. there for that. Actually. Were you? I think I was there for that. I was yeah. moderating. A, I think I moderated the panel right before you. Really? 
and Paramount then, panel. It might have been Paramount. Was it, it was? I think it was for. Were I think I was that? moderating the panel for Paul. I think maybe that was. The oh year right, of sure. Paul. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing Harrison Ford in the green room. And oh, that was the Cowboys and Aliens. The panel. Cowboys and Aliens. That was Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, yeah. you're talking about Iron that was the year that that was the year the people stabbed. got the stabbed. Yeah. yeah, that was the stabbing. <laughs> That was uh, boy. That was that was weird because backstage it was like somebody got stabbed. We it was were like, about to go on stage. That's right. For our remember, panel, we were, we were all... and the ushers came back and they're like, um, "We're going to go back up to the green room." We're like, "We're not going out there." Like there was an incident. And we're like, "What happened?" Like, there was a stabbing. When you heard stabbing, you thought it was a broadsword and yeah. somebody was beheaded. Oh, like, yeah. Like that's how it sounded. <laughs> and then it turned out it was it was nasty. I mean, somebody got punched. I think it was a pen. It was a, a mechanical pen. Somebody pencil. got punched with a mechanical pencil, which was <laughs> awful to see blood and not, yeah. not to make light of it. But you know, it just shows you how uh, the you game of telephone. It's pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there was. I, I felt that just to, just to, just to finish the point. It was like there was. I, 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 it's it's so nice when people love and appreciate what it is, and you work just as hard when they don't. Uh, but I do know that as you look back in time, none of those game turns are wasted. Everything that I that didn't click for audiences, at least at the box office, was Zathura led me to be able to do what I did with Iron Man and everything. And, and, you know, you look at the abyss and then you look at Titanic and, you know, Avatar. You can't divide, you can't selectively pull pieces out of of a career. You have to accept the whole thing. And, and, And honestly, it's the humility and circumspect that comes from failures that causes growth. It's like you grow at night and... When you're riding high from success, the exercise is keep your head and don't let this run away with you. And I think I've been very, very, very fortunate to have a really steady growth that for every time I've sort of popped up a little bit, I've got knocked down a little bit. But if you look at the overall curve, it's a growth it's curve. It's going up and up and up. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be, you know, Orson Welles. I mean, that's like to have such success in the beginning. And you don't want to be somebody, honestly, who's just always uh, – just always uh, the same level of success and winning, and I think that there's there's a lack of ver- variety and growth and, and learning in that thing. I I, I think I, I embrace the the, the failures uh, 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 more so than the successes in many ways. They're, they're the ones that you're most you 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 connect with the mm-hmm. most. The successes don't they don't feel like they're yours always because it's always such a heightened reality and. Um, I've seen a lot of, in other people, I've seen a lot of bad things come out of, of high points in their career. And so it's like one of those maybe good luck, maybe bad luck. And, it, and, and, you know, as I get older, you really get that perspective. So it's really about do the best work you can. Do things you're passionate about because you will be operating at 100% capacity. You won't be half-assing something, which we all tend to do when we're not fully engaged. So find something you really love. Give it your all. Invest fully with the people that you're working with and the people who are in your close circle of friends and your family and put all the energy into that and do not look outside that room. Don't look out that window because it'll either be cheering crowds out your window or it's going to be people throwing tomatoes. You don't know. (laughs) And it doesn't really matter. And over the long term, you're going to have a very fulfilled, long, sustained career. And so... You know, although I'm, I, 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 I like to promote the stuff I do and I want to see it do well, each of us has a journey and, and it has made me much more, um, a lot less controlling of anything but the process of it. And, and, and since I've done that, I found that the work has really continued to grow and, and 
but most important, I'm, I'm happy. And that's, let's not forget that's the goal here. We right? do forget that because you get so obsessed with the thing or the, or the, you know, the, the material goal or the, Perceived oh, I need goal. this thing that's going to fix me or I need this thing. And then you realize like, oh, at the end of the day, I should really be happy. So it doesn't matter. Like, and it doesn't bring, ha- I mean, you've had great success, right? And when those things happen that you thought would make you the happiest, did you not feel the weird crash of this isn't what I thought it was going to be? Whether it's a toy you got or a oh, job? Sure, or- like almost instantly that it's more like the anticipation of the thing is more powerful than the thing itself. Because right. once you have the thing, like, oh, I didn't even thought what I was going to do with this. I just knew I wanted a thing, but it ne- I never walked through the process of, and then I'll do this. You know, yeah. like I don't have that. I don't know. You never think about that. It's And then... You feel bad because you're like, I am fucking up the success of this thing because I'm not appreciating it the right way. That's right. And you, you hate yourself for that. And it's like you're yeah. like um, – I'm so, I, you get so disappointed with yourself for not enjoying the, these blessings, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's and – but here's the things that you do like and here's the things that do sort of win out. Every year when Alf's on TV – and people quote it and dress up and do bootleg T-shirts of some – the line the narwhal says or something. <laughs> that – I get so happy from that because I feel like there's a light that's shining into the world because of something that I was a part of. And the same thing, I'll get something uh, every once in a while – you know, you try not to read your at feed on Twitter, <laughs> but every once in a while, you know, if like if like if if I know Swingers is in rotation on cable mm-hmm. or something, I'll look and or somebody will be like, I just got over a breakup and I watched your movie and it made me feel better. Well, on a, on a certain biological level, you know, we have this need as human beings to essentially scatter our DNA across the timeline, and it's that's a that's an artistic way of doing that. That because you know that that'll always you know that'll always be there. I mean, it's, if our society doesn't collapse, right. those things will you, always be there. Because you're not – I mean, what are – what is – who are you? You know, you look at a picture of yourself from 10 years ago. There's not one cell that's still alive. Yeah. Right. But yet you're still you. So there was some transference of something other than material that defines who you are. And maybe it's just a tech process of, you know uh, – in, you know, electrical impulses firing in your brain that create this consciousness. You yeah. know, maybe we're just a really good biologically based computer that has a sense of, of 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 being sentient. I don't know what it is, but I do know that whatever it is that's in your head, you could connect it to other people. You're not just uh, whatever you think is, is the parameters of who you are. And as I get older, you start to realize as you have children. So much of you is in them and so much of you spreads through your work to other people that there is, I think, as people, you know, so many people, it seems, recently have been passing away. But you still feel their presence linger in our culture. And we're creating, remember, our bodies, not to get too too weird about this, but, you know, all big, uh, all complex living creatures were originally smaller creatures that have like mitochondria were <laughs> another creature that was eaten by your cell and then yeah. they created a symbiotic relationship and now it's part of your nucleus you know and 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 you know there are a lot of complex creatures that over time slowly come together and i wonder if they ever realize when they stop being their own you know entity and part of something bigger and i think as we get interconnected with the internet and social networking and computers 
we're forming, if you look structurally, it's not unlike what a brain is like. That's what our culture is we're turning into. This, this we're forming mass. this big communal, and, and the more we are against one another, the more you fight that, and the more you pull together and specialize in different areas, the more it, the more you begin to, I'm not saying we're becoming a big brain, but we're emulating the structure of it. And as different groups of people communicate more quickly and fully and purely, we're able as a culture to... Um, to rise above what what once hampered us uh, as individuals back in the Ice Age. And we're living better, and there's certainly room for great or bad, but I think the good is outweighing it over time. And I think that being a, a part, of, part of this culture, you're serving a purpose, and you could actually infuse uh, something positive and, and, uh, that helps move things forward in a big way. And it's just the beginnings of, of a feeling that I'm getting uh, as, I, as I'm now in my late 40s. But there is something to be said for uh, being a positive influence and whether it's in just entertaining people. Yeah. Sometimes that's enough, honestly, to take people's minds off the bad things so that they don't fight with their girlfriend when they get home or yell at their kids. Right. Like that's, that's God's work. <laughs> you know, if, you can, if you can make somebody laugh and then they're not going to hit their kid – You've done a good thing. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't realize this until my dad died last year, which is that the legacy that people leave, pretty similar to what you're saying, is not, it's not so much like the size of the statue they built, yeah. but what the effect uh, right. that has on people. Like, that's the legacy is like, well, how did you the affect... Ripples. Yeah, the, how did you affect people? That's where people sort of become theoretically immortal and live on. It's like, oh, well, his... He did a series of things that affected people in certain ways and, and changed the course of Who's their life. Yeah. Who, who, the divorced dad that went bowling with his kid, right? <laughs> that looked, this kid that looked forward to going one of your dad's places, right? Yes. Right? And now they, his best experiences and his memories and his learning experience. And with, with fathers and sons, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, I, and, and Chef, I know we haven't talked much, but there's the, there's a, it's about a dad who's, who's you know, not been the best father who connects with his kid. And you totally understand. Yeah. Like, I, I think you pl- the, the way that you wrote your character, he's not a dick. Yeah, but you you totally understand this kind of cats in the cradle thing that's happening. Yes, where it's like, oh, of course he wants to hang out with his kid. He loves him, but he does like he's got to work. And he's, he's so he's passionate about this. He's more passionate about this than he is about his kid. And I, you know, and I was a kid from a. I mean, I'm not divorced. I have, you know, uh, hopefully I'm a better father than what I'm depicting in the film. But I was the kid of a divorce, and I remember that that pining for attention. And when you know, and I see it. I see it on film sets. Like there's, it doesn't happen a lot, but like like when the stunt community, there's a lot of apprenticeship of children with fathers, and mm-hmm. you see dads working with teenage kids or kids in their twenties. The time when most kids are could have want could not have less to do with their fathers, yeah. <laughs> and watching them teach them skills and bonding through that interdependence and the passing down generationally of not just skills but a value system. There's something very pure and you know pre-industrial about that that seems to be more suited for our species than the scalable education system that we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so you know you see that handing down of something, and we don't get that in the you know there aren't candlestick makers teaching candlestick makers for the most part anymore. But you do go to the bowling alley, and the kid figures out early on subconsciously that he could impress his dad by knocking a lot of pins down and next thing you know the kid loves bowling and wants wants a new bowling ball and now the dad's teaching him how to do it right and you're bonding deeply with that 
you're making that intergenerational bond that that kid needs at that moment. And so just to wind it back what you were saying, now your dad may not have ever wanted to do that. He, maybe he just wanted to be the best bowler he could be. But next thing you know, he's got a place where other people could come and do it. And he's sure. teaching other people. And now all of a sudden, you've, you've won one for the, for the good team. You've, you've put some points on the board on the side of the light. You know? And to me, that's, to me, that's ultimately what makes everybody feel best when you look back and scale the world to that kind of mountaintop view that you get as you get older is you want to, those are the points you like to have and not how big of a like yeah. you say, monument you built. Because the, 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 you know, the story that I saw with Chef was about a guy who essentially is fighting against becoming less selfish. But yep. then when he does, he actually gets the stuff that he That's right. was saying that he wanted before. But in a weird way, it kind of doesn't matter because he's just happy. He's just yeah. happy. Yeah. And that's the point. And that's what Swingers is about. And that's what the big picture is about. And that's what, you know, that, that's... The big picture. Remember the big picture? Oh, it's yeah. one of my favorite movies. Yeah. It's very, uh, very, you know, very strong. And, you know, he goes all... He goes to, he starts Kevin Bacon. Chris Guest. Christopher Guest directed. Directed it. Um Worth checking out, especially if you want to be in the film business. It's it really kind of is very silly, but very, uh, very, very uh, cogent. It's less dark than the player in terms of like this is an inside <laughs> look at. I'd like it's super funny. Uh, Martin Short's in it too, Kills it. and Michael McKean, and um, and it's a it's a it's a beautiful story and so well so well done. It, it, you know, it's a kid who comes out of Bacon's a kid that comes out of film school, gets a shot, uh, gets a deal at some studio, and then just. Completely one death of a thousand cuts to his vision is compromised. <laughs> and he has this everything. beautiful little artistic vision, yeah. and then it, it, it turns into like a beach comp. I mean, oh, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then you know, and he goes through the full cycle of it. It's definitely. I, I, I'm hoping it holds up. I think it should. I haven't seen it in a few years, uh, but but some of uh, certainly Martin Short at his best. Uh, but that's that's the deal, and that's the irony of it. And you know, I fight very hard to not work out of town. You know, uh, and to be around for my family and to and to be a, a, a good dad more than a good filmmaker. I mean, that's honestly a higher priority uh, to me. And and the irony is you you don't have to choose. You could do both. And as a matter of fact, I think that people who who honor a balanced life, whatever version that is for them, end up being better artists and better. You know, it. it it makes for a better product. The food tastes better <laughs> if they're happy. I really think so. And it's a you know it's a it's a tough it's a it's a tough racket when you when you're not digging it, no matter how how well you're doing. And it it is it is a very the, the statistics are not good for success of of people's personal lives for people who are very ambitious. It's, it's a, you have to really consciously try to 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 allow for that. I'm uh, taking note. I should be taking notes on that. I mean, I remember like ten years ago, I asked. Uh, I was having a conversation with Paula Tompkins about stand up, and I was like, "What do you? What's your? What do I do? You know, I was still trying to figure it out. Even yeah. at that point, I was still I was five years in, and I still didn't know. And Paul was like, "Well, um, have fun on stage." He was like, "I know it sounds weird, but just have fun." I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's supposed to be fun. There's supposed to be an element to it that's really fun." Yeah, yeah. Is this fun enough? This is amazing. Is it? Because it, uh, yeah. No, it's great. Th- this is great because there are so many nuggets in here for people to, um, and me in particular as someone who's, you know, uh, very ambitious, but also to try to remember, you know, that balance is very important, that it, if it gets too top heavy, 
then you fall over. Yes. So, um, but should we do a few dick jokes or something for the other, the rest of the audience? Or are we uh, okay? My dick is very top heavy, uh, <laughs> and it's going to cause there me to fall go. over. Okay. Yeah. That, it looks that like a plunger. Box. You know, somebody <laughs> was about to turn us off. <laughs> somebody was about to turn us off. Just, dick jokes, dick just, jokes. Just hung with us again. Yeah. Okay, uh, wait, 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 wait. Don't turn this one off. No, hashtag vagina. <laughs> Let's talk about another kind of swinger. Uh, oh, nice. So, <laughs> points. Um, uh, I did want to point out one other thing about Chef, which I really, which Jonah and I, the theater was that. Um, uh, is every song a cover? Like, if, yeah, I every wanted song to do, was like was a really bad. cool cover of something. So here's why: we, you know, there's a movies, you know, were traditionally score, right? And then, and then you had movies like American Graffiti and Harder They Come and Scorsese stuff. And what I noticed when I was watching, I was watching a lot of Scorsese, a lot of Scorsese's films. When I was doing, um, actually, I was pre- prepping to do Jersey Boys, which I ended up not doing, and, and uh, uh, later Clint Eastwood did, and it's about to come out. I, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But I had, there was a while there I thought I was going to do Jersey Boys, and I was for some reason looking at uh, a lot of the Marty stuff. And what I found was, even with Raging Bull, he wasn't doing score; he was doing needle drops from records. And I had done that in Swingers and Made, and what happens is it first of all it creates it's a wonderful way on a smaller film to create tremendous mood because it's like a playlist you're you're you know it's like what you're playing on your ipad as you're even if you're getting on the bus going to school if you got the right song on you feel very heroic and it does help guide the emotional valence of the audience but it also takes away the artifice of of uh music that comments through and with score, it always feels a little bit more manipulative. Now, there are certain things, like I'm getting ready to work on Jungle Book. That's something I would use score for, because that's part of that milieu, right? But in something like this, I like my comedy to be very naturalistic. I would rather not everybody got every joke, rather than certain people feel like certain jokes were too slow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, like the, the movie, they were ahead of the movie. So a movie like Chef, I want it to feel natural, the, the, the comedy be natural, the emotion to be natural, the performances, and the writing to be natural. And, and certainly the food should feel very authentic and real to what would be in a kitchen. And so by having these needle drops, you get to inject a tremendous amount of context and emotion and, and interesting choices, too, because it's if you, if you look, there's a, the type of music we chose commented a lot on the food because a lot of the songs were ingredients of other songs. So it may have been the song... Like that, White Lines uh, took the took the hook from was a, a song called Cavern uh, by Liquid Liquid, and that was like a post punk New York band that Grandmaster Flash took the bass hook from. So there's a lot of songs that you'll recognize, but you've never heard this version because it's the underlying like mother sauce key ingredients. Yeah, from. yeah it doesn't it, it doesn't feel like oh they couldn't afford the real version so they made their own. It felt like oh everyone did an interesting version of that yeah. song. We found yeah the and that's how chefs think. They're like how do I deconstruct this dish and put it together? And so and there's a lot of Latin flavor and Cuban music, both classic and and new stuff that they're doing there now. And then we go to New Orleans, so there's a, a lot of great, you know, cool, brassy New Orleans. And they do, when they do a brass band cover of stuff, like we have Sexual Healing, yeah, and that was like a Busting Loose, it like, there's such energy and, and vitality to it. And, you know, you want this character to go from this transformation of cooking in this, you know, this French restaurant in Brentwood where the menu hasn't changed in 10 years and then go on the road in this food truck and just be cooking these bold dishes. Because Dustin Hoffman's a dick. <laughs> 
in the in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. In the movie. <laughs> in, in real. And, and by the way, he yeah, he plays the owner of the restaurant. Uh, he's what was really cool about him is that if you really look at what he says, he's he's actually not like he, he's his point is well taken. Like he cooked the food that that that's safe that people want to eat yeah. because you have customers who've been coming to this restaurant for a long time and they love your menu. And you don't want to, you know, you don't want to go to, you know, uh, In-N-Out Burger and then you don't have uh, double-double. Like, I want to go and get what I like as yeah. a customer. Play the hits. I don't care. Play the hits. I don't yeah. care who, who. And he says that. He says, yeah. if you went to a Stone show and Jagger didn't play Satisfaction, would you be happy? Yeah. Would that make you pleased? <laughs> and as an artist, you're like, God, you want to get mad, <laughs> yeah. but you're like, I know. But is there any part of that that is almost... Um, Almost saying that to you as a director of like, hey, you know, you could make a, you could make ten more Iron Men, or you could make something you're really passionate about. This, I think the it's next a balance. Time. I think it's always a balance of knowing what you're excited by, and and the dude in the movie just can't figure it out and screws everything up. I've always been smarter than it, and I've known how to be involved with things where I can give it my all, and knowing how to maintain relationships even as you change your degree of involvement. And I think, you know, uh, the, in, in the case of Marvel, it was a, it's been a great ride, you know, and I still am involved, and I'm still, you know, executive producing films with them and appearing in Iron Man 3. But it is different. Feige's the it. best, man. I fucking I love that guy. Yeah, he. I listened. I finally I listened to his appearance here because I figured I'm coming on. I should <laughs> make sure we get our story straight. <laughs> uh, but uh, but Feige is, you know. And I really saw him grow, not just from, like, I heard the stories of the days of X-Men. And so he always was our resident, you know, historian about, well, this type of villain was used in this movie. And then he also has encyclopedic knowledge of, of Star Wars and, and Star Trek, but especially Star Wars. So he'll, you know, so he'll, he'll pull every plot point of Wrath of Khan out of his back pocket uh, in addition to... You know, and I went to the archives, by the way, at, at the ranch with him, where they have all of this obscure. It's it's unfair to even call it memorabilia, but this you know this archive. It's like where they put the Ark of the Covenant. In, I've, I've been there. Oh, you've been there. Oh, they literally have the Ark of the. They Covenant have the fucking there. Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> uh, he knew every single. We were going through with the curators, and he knew everything before they said it. It was like uncomfortable uh, how much <laughs> yeah. he knew. I remember before we went in, the curator was like. Put your hands in your pockets. <laughs> like the very he was serious. like, that was from the extended content from, that was the drum from the Jedi extended remix. Oh, Jesus uh, the curator was like, I'm going to have to look that up. He, yeah, knew, yeah. he knew it all. Uh, so, you know, and he was a dude who, who, again, came into his own on the fly during Iron Man. Because in Iron Man, he, he stepped up during Iron Man, then went off to do Hulk. So Hulk was happening as we were posting Iron Man. So he was doing Hulk. And then in the editing room with us on Iron Man, and he was, uh, you know, and it was a very, the, the, the good thing for, for Marvel for growing these people is that they, they're, you know, it's not a big operation. There's, there's a limited amount of people doing a tremendous amount of work. So mm -hmm. they get very good at what they're doing. And, and I saw him go from offering ideas and again he's an easy guy to collaborate with because he's he was never you have to do this he was never like but he always but he had always strong points of view and would be very compelling in his arguments and it was always let's try this let's try this let's try this he had tremendous patience and and so i saw him go from and then Disney also acquired Marvel, remember, in the middle of Iron Man 2. So there was all, and he was, and he was setting up 
Avengers in his mind while we're doing Iron Man 2. So there was all this stuff happening. And remember, when you're putting everything together in one big bowl, it's like my grandma taught me, you know, if you're cracking eight eggs into a batter for a cake, you crack each egg into a little bowl, smell it, make sure it's not bad, then dump it in. (laughs) With Avengers, you're cracking every egg right into the batter because one bad egg could have ruined other franchises that were going very well. And so that was a tremendous degree of difficulty. Um, And then to know to hire Joss, who was uniquely qualified to, because he understood comic book knowledge. Like, like I was good for the for for Iron Man because it was good about okay. Let's say what would what it would really be like to have this suit in the real world and with Afghanistan and with the voiceover from the guy from Frontline. Like, let's really ground <laughs> it. But I don't understand how who wins, what's stronger, Thor's hammer or the uh, Captain America's vibranium <laughs> shield or what who is. You know, I kind of got the Hulk thing with the Hulkbuster suit. Like, I understood that logic, but. But there's a level of, of, of sophistication to the understanding that both Kevin and, and Joss have about the internal logic within the books that I just am not, I'm not a greater expert than the audience is and, and would have been very uh, hard-pressed to have done what they were able to do. And now as they spin it out into the next thing, and I'm hearing great things about um, uh, Captain America. Oh, Winter Soldier's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm super excited for Guardians. So you saw it before I did, and I'm, and I'm part of the Marvel family. <laughs> yeah. I have a more time that day. Uh, and, and, and Guardians looks great, and yeah. I love that. And Ant-Man, you know, I, me, and, me and Edgar were next to each other at the first Comic-Con in, I think, 06. Oh, and shit. I love Edgar. And he's going to do something tremendous with that. And I love that they're now they're, you know, not just spinning out stories that are with the cast and tone that had been established originally but now they're branching out into these other areas where they're varying the tone and letting filmmakers bring in uh, he's been very always very good about uh, drafting talent and getting the filmmaker who's got the right skill set that they could augment support or maybe they could do it all on their own but you know it's it, it's a very safe place where you know you're not going to be allowed to fail. Yeah, they'll step in if you're if you're at a loss. They'll step in and 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 help you because it's really is now a they really got it down. It's it's a it's a you know it's it's truly a studio now. And they've wow. got they get they they have trained us like animals to sit through the credits. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. well, there's got to be something. It's better be you know. It's it's um. It's it's strong and it's and it's and it's it's so interesting now that they're like the the, the gold standard too because they were, you know, much like Marvel originally was, they were kind of the subversive, you know, drunk uncle at the wedding, yeah. and now <laughs> now they've with these flawed characters and you know I still remember there was DC and all the established you know that the whole Cavalier and Clay era golden age, and then Marvel steps in and and does all these this crazy comment on the on the on the on the archetypes of the comic world and now they're now they're now they're a brand that can launch a guardians of the galaxy and i think people are excited about it like they're being rewarded for their uh, risk taking so i think again edgar funny guy yeah james gunn funny guy yeah. like, I, I get so excited when i see like it's good like comedy and, and marvel's about humor it always was it like back to you know uh, stand True the man believers it's, so it's always been, you know, that's been the DNA of it, and to yeah. and to find that opportunity without blowing the stakes of the thing. Don't comment, you know. Operate, find humor within the reality. So it's 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 exciting. It's 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 strange. 
to be honest with you, to see what this, how significant of a, of a presence that, that universe is now in the movie world, especially remembering how uh, tenuous it all felt at the beginning. It was all very, uh, you know, because that was one where it was like, if I screw this up, it's not, it, the whole thing's gone, yeah. and they're going to lose their characters. Like, I was reminded, we lose our rights to our characters if, we, if, we, if, we, if this doesn't work out. Oh, thanks. I'm on my way to work yeah. now. Yeah. No, it was like, <laughs> so like, it was like, and they gave me a shot. And and then it was so it was like, uh, but they they've always been rewarded for for taking for taking risks and uh, and they really haven't, you know. There's their their worst outing is still a success. You know what I'm was, saying? Was there was it your? Do you have a photo book online? Was it your photo album? No, you know who it was? It was uh, Jeff Bridges. Was oh, it black it was and Jeff white? Bridges. Yeah, 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 black and white pictures. Yeah. That's right. Which I saw when Jeff was okay. Yeah, because I just those are very intimate yes. pictures. Yes. I was like, oh, only like only three people in that room would have been allowed to do that. Yeah. Jeff Bridges, you, or right. Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the photo? Book? Oh yeah, yeah. His website is great. He's a great photographer. Yeah, you yeah. should check that out. That people yeah. watching because they have that and they have like Big Lebowski. He does it on all his stuff. Yeah, and he's, he's done got, for years. And he's got one of those wind up uh, panoramic. I think like a, a Russian panoramic plastic yeah. camera that, as you take the shot, uh, it, the lens actually rotates 180 degrees. Jeez. So you can run from one side of the room to the other and be on the other side of the photo. So like that's part of it is like take a picture with a sad face and a happy face in the same photo. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, this is. Uh, I mean, we've dominated a lot of your time, and I am. It's been so nice chatting with you. Like when I met you at Comic Con, I mean, we've met a couple times. We were but- at Sundance. We first talked about this long ago. I don't know if you remember. Just nod. No, it wasn't Sundance. It was, it was Comic-Con. It was Comic-Con. We were at a party, I thought. At Comic-Con. Was it? Yes. It was in oh, one of those after It was uh, one of those after, after parties at Comic-Con. Okay. Yeah. And the only reason I know this, because I, I haven't been to Sundance yet, but I remember oh, I ran okay. into you. Well, thank you for not making me look like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was the polite pause, was how can I make him not look like he's no, no, lying? No, 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 no. Well, listen, <laughs> thank you. Just out not. of all the events and all the things that, I, I never take that stuff, it's fine. But I met, you at, I met you at Comic-Con, and you go, hey, I really enjoyed the Damon Lindelof podcast. And I was like... You listen to the pod. I don't know why you think when a famous person says something to you and you're like, "Oh, you're people." That's right. You listen to things. Well, I like that. I like this format. And I, you know, if you remember, dinner for five. I, I did. Yeah, dinner yeah, for five. The, one of the original, it, technically it, original podcast. Kind of a podcast because yeah. it was one it's of those things where podcast. where it was like. They didn't care about ratings so much then. It was it was great content with where you got in depth conversations with people and less concerned with fighting for ratings with the Tonight Show. It was like either you're going to check this out when you can, uh, and that's what a podcast is. It's like you make an appointment. At your convenience, you could listen and listen in depth to somebody speaking beyond the normal talking points that they normally have. And and each podcast has a different personality, and you know, and and your guy's personality infuses the way the conversation goes. And it's 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 a very enjoyable. Uh, experience when I see there's somebody that even if it's somebody I don't know I'll listen I'll give them a shot but like when I know it's somebody that I'm curious about what makes them tick mm-hmm. to know that I'm going to have an hour to hear you get to the bottom of it uh, and and it's not fighting with my TV time you know what I mean where it feels like it's it's something where I'll do it while I'm driving when I'm laying in bed and it becomes uh, it becomes a much more intimate experience than it would be watching a, a show where you're being yeah. presented to. Here it's like you're you're at dinner with somebody or a uh, fly on the wall, and so it's nice. And it's it, 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 I, I was looking forward very much to doing this, and uh, it's been it's been 
It, I also never know which way you guys are going to go with it. We never yeah. know because I, it always just sort of depends on the energy of the guests and yeah. sort of what they want to talk about yeah. and where it can go. And we kind of let it dictate. And so we show up not knowing. I mean, yeah. whether good or bad, we don't prepare in the sense that I, I just don't ever want it to feel like an interrogation. No, and then and what I, happened on I, the evening of... And I like that. But yet you know enough about your guests that they never feel like they're having to fill you in on who they are or what they've done, <laughs> which is the way you could go wrong. You know, you which wait. you're probably... Yeah, you can. You're probably yeah. And you're not trying really to, enough. And you probably get more sincere reactions out of people and, and sincere uh, stories and anecdotes because you're not... It's never the feeling that you're trying to pick at something or bring out something that somebody doesn't want to talk about. Well, no, I mean, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not like British journalists and it's like, one, why did this happen? You know, like we're, it's, I think when people feel safe, when they start to go like, oh, you know, I can just be a human being, then yeah. they, they open up a little bit. Yeah. Could yeah. not crack Harrison Ford. Was he okay uh, on Harrison Cowboys? Ford is, here's the <laughs> trick of Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. Because, of course, he's the treasure trove. Right? He is. He's the man. And not just – just being around him is – You right? can't okay. not freak out around him. But you want to get to the stories. But if you ask him, he's very much like, thank you. So the trick with him is you got to spend a lot of time with him. You can't just do it like in an interview. But with me on the set with him, first of all, he tells amazing jokes. He's a great joke teller. And so that's entertaining in and of itself. But you want to get to the stories. But you got to get him angry to get him to really talk. So you got to be like, so uh, were the Ewoks your idea? <laughs> that was one. That was one. I got a good 20 minutes out of that. And I would have to get like, and then like Bob Orsi would be like, you got to fucking talk about the Blade Runner voiceover without me. You know? So you got to get him to, you got to sort of, but Bob Orsi was on the set. So it's like, there was this understanding that I couldn't do that without him around. Oh, sure. Because you were only going to get it once. You weren't right, going to yeah, get yeah. that conversation again. So, uh, yeah, I got the Blade Runner stories. I got the um, um, I Love You, I Know. <laughs> oh, man. I got... Uh, Six Days, Seven Nights. Uh, <laughs> that one. And also, the flying is a whole other thing. We delved into that a little bit. Yeah. He opened up a little bit on that. Oh, yeah. You, you should... I, I've been in that plane. <laughs> I've been oh, in that really? helicopter. Oh yeah, he used to fly the helicopter to the set in in Cowboys and Aliens, and in the and in the, in, he'd fly out to the ranch, and we'd fly back. And um, when he was about to land, would he go? Were we supposed to land here? Would you go? <laughs> I was Chewbacca because yeah. I did feel like I was too large for the <laughs> for the set for the set there on that little helicopter because you couldn't touch the. There's a little stick in between your knees you can't touch, and there's one next to you. That you can't touch, and then of course all the switches, and then the only thing he says is, "Let me know if there's any wires," because that's the one. Like if there's any low wires, so oh. now I'm all my I'm on my head's on a swivel looking for <laughs> for telephone poles. But you gotta everywhere. know, like I mean, if I were, I would, it would be the one time I would not be freaked out to go in a helicopter if Harrison Ford was flying, because I'm like. Even if it goes down, what a great way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's awesome at it, too. Yeah. He's great. He's a great pilot and takes it very, very, very seriously and, uh, <laughs> and has a great, a lot of beautiful planes. And, uh, but, you know, he is. That's a good he's, trick. He's, time, if he ever comes on again. He's the best. I mean, he is like, he's what you hope he would be. And he's got the, that heart that's implied in them things because he does a lot of charity work and he's just a you know one of those classic gruff exterior soft chewy center good dudes who really really takes his craft seriously and, and gives a shit and will 
be there and discuss the script as long as you want to and be on the set and and knows how to be a movie star and makes everybody on the set around him feel lucky that they're there. And Daniel Craig was also amazing because, you know, Daniel Craig, it, it was, you know, Harrison Ford was in support of Daniel Craig. And Daniel Craig is the type of guy who's like Harrison was, he always treated Harrison like the man and, uh-huh. and just let him... Uh, paid him tremendous respect, and, and and me and him would just be like, I can't believe we're working with Harrison Ford. On I'm glad you thing. still. It's so nice to hear that you still have those moments. I mean, like that. It's because yeah. if you don't, then maybe you know it's time to do something else. If you don't still get excited yeah. by those little nuggets, no, you and do. just stop and go, oh my god, I can't. You know, where you got to call someone like I just fucking did this yeah. thing. And you did. I get it. I get it a lot. I, I got it with Dustin. I got it with Dustin Hoffman on Chef. I get, definitely got it with uh, with Harrison and. Um, and even Robert, you know, even though Robert was coming around for, for a gig, it was, I was starstruck when I met him. And he always had this air. Well, you know, you've, you've, you've talked to him, right? You, I've never talked, we never had him on the podcast. You never did? Mm-mm. He just has an air of a guy that has tremendous confidence in his ability. Even when he was the guy who was fighting to get the job. And when he did that screen test, and I think it's out there. I think, I think they put it out at some point on something. But when he did that screen test, I remember we were working with Maddie Liebatique, who was the, uh, the cameraman who, who came in to do the screen test. Because a lot of it was like, make sure they always want young, young, younger. So Maddie, Maddie had worked with him on, I think, Gothica. And so I was like, Maddie, you got to come in. Let's do the screen test right. Let's light him. Let's show him how good we can make this, this guy look. And uh, Maddie did. And then he did his screen test. And everybody was just knocked on their ass because he did the scripted lines he improvised he just was killing it left and right and then I turned to Maddie and I said could you believe that and he's like that's about what I expected because <laughs> <laughs> he'd seen him do his shit and he had that kind of swagger and he's one of those once in a generation guys that you know and my god the 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 amplitude of his career the 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 high the 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 difference between the highs and the lows i don't think there ever has been and i can't even imagine there ever will be such a swing like that because you're coming from below sea level up to the (laughs) stratosphere like people come out of nowhere and jump up yeah or people build a career or have a comeback but to be written off by 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 most people uh and then to just be embraced in <laughs> be the, like in one of the top three people in the industry and, yeah. I, and I think that number might be smaller than three <laughs> you know he's just because he you know two franchises and then he's got this other thing called The Judge and he's doing small stuff and big stuff thankfully he came in and did some did work on Chef, Chef yeah. and just you know kills it you know it's it, it really does feel like Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny that like I'm there grinding it out the whole movie and then he walks onto the screen and the whole okay, theater <laughs> the whole theater just giggles like it's uh, like uh, like like uh, Johnny Fontaine w- w- walked into the wedding you know <laughs> right wasn't that from Godfather yeah. Johnny Fontaine yeah Johnny Fontaine Johnny walks Fontaine. in everybody Ooh. And and uh, he just destroys in 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 a couple you know a couple moments there, um, so you know great dude happy for him <laughs> and uh, I've been very very lucky to have worked with uh, just good not just and I think and I think my big my big if I've got a superpower it's I I got a good eye and I know how to put good I know how to hire people who are amazing at what they do and and they make me look good. And, and that goes for behind the camera and, and, and certainly for the talent in front of the camera. 
And it's been, and that's when I get frustrated, to be honest with you, is when I see something in someone and, and it's not obvious to everybody else and they, they're fighting me on those types of decisions. That's when I really start to, that's when I get very, very freaked out. <laughs> do you understand? We could, don't you see it? And, and then they don't. And you can't blame them. It's a, they have a different skill set. But, but in this, in this world where people have to sign off and be comfortable and they're making big commitments over time, whether it's for a TV pilot or a movie, and you see that somebody's really good, and, and, and it's happened. I've, I've, I've been present for people going through that part of their career a number of times. I've seen it, and, uh, and I know what it's – I have a good sense of it, uh, and, and you don't want to let it go. If they're right there and you could have them and you could plug them in, it's going to make everything – everybody's dreams come true, not just their own but the movies. The, and, 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 and you have to fight for that. Uh, that's, that's very hard. That's a that's – a, that's when it keeps me up at night, and 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 I fight very hard for it. And then when it comes together, it's 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 wonderful. And 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 then the fight makes it even that much more satisfying. And then to see to see them do so well, it, it makes you feel very confident in your ability of course, to yeah, that you recognize to judge it. to judge that in, yeah. in, and see that in others. And that's um, and that's something that's uh, I've grown to really appreciate. And chef, were you since it was kind of a smaller move, were you able to kind of have carte blanche with the people? Because it's so there's so many yeah. people of so many different levels of chef. If you don't like chef, it's all on me. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's I what's kept, fun though. I, I kept it small. All the responsibility. I like yeah. that. I'm in it. I play the chef. We got this great kid that I found. Kid's really good. We got you know Roberts popping in, Scarlett, Sofia Vergara, John Leguizamo kills it, Cannavale, Russell Bobby Cannavale, does a- Russell Peters yeah. pops in. <laughs> Just on a whim, yeah. I'm was, like, hey, we're in Miami. You want to be in the movie? Come on down. Is that how it did, oh out? yeah, yeah. He's only yeah. in the movie for like a minute, and he's yeah. really it's fucking. A, no, it's a great scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's plays. He's in Miami playing the cop. There's uh, Hoffman. Um, you know, it was it, some of it took some doing of trying to schedule them or get them to come around. But there's no money, and it was fortunately it was also no time. It was nothing. You know, it was, and it was you know, uh, and and. Uh, you know, it was always people that I was chasing after and saying, please do this. I would love to have you. And here's the scene and it's written. You know, there's not a leap of faith here. Here it is. Here's when we're going to shoot it. Oliver Platt. Oh, yeah. Uh, Amy Sedaris. So it's like every single every single person was, you know, I got to I didn't really have to justify that that much money. So there wasn't there wasn't a. You know, my whole thing was this one's either going to work or not work based on how good it is. Not, and 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 me at the center of it all, I'm not like the biggest marquee name, <laughs> so it's going to have to live or die by how well people like it. And and you know, I just wanted to not have any say in casting, the script, or where I shot, and and I made it all work, and I'm comfortable with that. That's by the way, you know, a negative pickup basically where you have a budget. That's even what Iron Man was. That was not a. You know, that was not a studio cash flow film. That was like, we have this much money to make it. And I've always been good because I come out of indies of, of knowing how to do something for the budget. And and I know how to get the most out of it. And I'm always, you know, I always stay on time, on budget. And as long as you're responsible like that, you're given a lot more latitude, I've found. And so with this one, it was like, it's exactly what I wrote, what I wanted to do. Worked with a chef named Roy Choi, who trained me and sent me off to culinary school, and I worked in his restaurants. On Wait, the Roy line. from from Kogi, the Kogi truck. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. And he's got a bunch of restaurants around town, like yeah. A Frame. And when is when does the nice come out? It's coming out. Uh, it, it's platforming. Uh, I think uh, May 9th is it's when it's okay. when it first comes out, and I think it's gonna. You know, I'm not sure when it's gonna hit every city, 
but soon thereafter. So it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I'm going to get the, uh, I'm going to get to be under the glass bottom boat this time, looking up mm-hmm. into the boat. Cause normally that's when like Iron Man and stuff comes out. We're like, the ba- <laughs> now I'm like, the, I'm like the little fish. Like, don't eat me. <laughs> Watch out. Spider-Man. Leave me alone. It's like spider that I help build is going to grow. Yeah, hi, Marvel. Please be kind. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, the good news is that I think, I think, we could, I think we could sell out one theater in every city. No, I think it's going to be you great. Know what I'm and saying? I, think, I, think, I think this type of thing is really cool because it shows people, you know, it show, it's obvious that you care about it and it shows people, hey, you can also do this kind of movie. Remember? Like, you could do this kind of movie too. Yeah. And it's obviously something that he only did because he cared about because he doesn't yeah. have to do this. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it is wonderful. And what's nice too is people are like, you know, we're at South by Southwest and you're starting to see what people, what people think and people are connecting a lot to my earlier work and that I feel like it's the same voice as, as swingers and, 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 and made and the same type of humor. And now it's different because with swingers, they know who are these guys, what's going on now. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm like, there are people who, who've seen that movie a lot and they'll get my rhythms and my sense of humor. And it's, and it and, and they'll give it a shot. And people who don't and I don't need everybody to show up. Like on the big ones, you need the people who kind of don't dig what you do to like it too. You know, <laughs> so you got to kind of like have a very. You know, it's got to be a big tent that fits everyone in it. This one, as long as everybody who buys a ticket who who likes my stuff or likes the food world, foodies or people who want to see something a, a father son story and something that's again everything now is about escapism. This is about like looking at really looking at, at, at real issues in a fun way and in a, in a hopefully uplifting way. And that's kind of more the purview of stand-up comedy or essayists. Or, but movies tend to all be now big escapist. Let's see what somebody else is dealing with. Yeah. This is like, hopefully you recognize the use of social media, you know, like the whole Twitter thing yeah, and Facebook yeah. thing and having getting into getting sucked into that whole world and being a Luddite first learning how to use that stuff and making an ass of yourself with it and ruining, thinking you're ruining your life by tweeting the wrong thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so that, that's what, that's kind of what we're, what we're going for here and, and that people are, are, are laughing and digging it and, and feeling something most importantly. Uh, that's great. And that also like the chef's, are, are looking at it and saying we got the food thing right because so many movies had not uh, and to, to really learn about the world of being a chef and having that point of view and making food like, like you were saying or who, who was saying to me about who, who they ate was oh, it not you? Oh, Debbie was saying. I'm sorry. Debbie was saying she 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 saw it and she she made the mistake of going in on an empty stomach. And, oh yeah, yeah. Then no, you were starving eat afterwards. Yeah. Okay, and, and just sort of in closing, uh, so I'm gonna. I, I just want to pitch you an idea, pitch you a, ske- a, a sketch idea. I think it's, I think it's gonna, I think it's a winner. Okay. Um, uh, dinner for five, Avengers. Put them all at a table yes. and just let them have a conversation. As, Wasn't that what they did? Did the, like the, the, they do the shawarma, shawarma scene? Thing. Wasn't they that kind of? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of the, uh, uh, but yeah, that would be you know to have in costume, just talking oh, about in costume being too. Oh, wow. no, not just the not the actress, like the actual like get Characters. the Avengers, just and, right. and Iron just Man, the Cap, shit. Thor, yes. the Hulk, just shooting the shit and just talking about yes. the normal things that these that these characters. What, what, well, that's what Josh 
does do, doesn't he? <laughs> Isn't that what Joss's thing is? Is like just make him talk about make normal talk about shit because he got the cast. I mean, once you got the chess pieces there, you you know what I mean. You could, and this is like the stuff I know. I don't know everything about what's going on with Avengers, but what I do know is it's really cool and really fun, and and seeing it all what it's grown into is still is a little surreal for me to see that how it's not just living and dying by one film or so a trilogy of films, but it's like this whole, this whole kind of open source comic book playground that, that, that it's turned into that now even has remote worlds that have the opportunity to bring some excitement to it. And then also now what's happening with like, I want to see what's going on with Spider-Man. I mean, excuse me, Superman and, and Batman. I want to see what they do. I want to see what's going on now with all the Spider-Man stuff and the villains. And, yeah. you know, let's see. Now there's a, a subgenre of interconnecting different IPs that are controlled by the same studios. And it, it which really emulates what the, what the comic book labels would do. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, so it's really becoming an even larger representation of the form so that and to me that is very uh that is incredibly complicated and fascinating to watch would you please and again uh this, enjoy your burrito that I was, that's what i was gonna ask okay. you yeah because Does that count or do i have to do it uh, no you have to say it like hitchhiker's guide enjoy your uh, do i have to say myself no, just say enjoy your burrito. i think you would just say it as I said three times you right? there's, there's there's started to say three times so he's like uh, it's if you do it five times, it's, it's my candy so you get a free burrito. It's like, it's like Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart when he came up to me uh, on on the set of Elf, and he said, uh, "John, I just, I just, uh, can I? I just want to say something. I just, I'm not, um, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not good at looping." <laughs> Inside joke. Uh, look uh, it up on the internet. What looping is, if you don't know. Uh, enjoy your burrito. Swish. Oh, swish. Um, I gotta ask you. There, is, there's there's a shot in uh, in Chef uh, when you get back from the road trip, yes. and you open the door, yes. and so is that is that a reference to swingers? I, I, not consciously. Okay. But if you look at the room and you look at the thing, and there's a lot of, of course, it's about the sun and not about. Girl, yeah, right? I'm not about the girl exactly. That's, that's kind of thought a, I would. That's a spoiler, though. Oh, is that part of? We can. <laughs> we I was just curious, but is like, it, there's a, there's a. I don't know. Is it a spoiler? It's not. Maybe it's not. It's a just spoiler. a shot. It's, it's a shot. It's, it's a. Yeah. There's there's what happens. What happens is you, and I would. I did a Q and A with with James Cameron, so I looked at all of his work back to back, and you start to see things, shots, characters, situations. You keep coming back to those things. Yeah. And it's almost like an artist doing a study, like a painter. If you look at like the sculptures leading to the Pieta, there's a, a sculpture of a hand. Yeah. A, now, the, the artist might not know they're doing that. Filmmakers are not that different, though. You're constantly drawn to similar dynamics, archetypes, tones, themes. And so I was not consciously like, I'm going to reference my own thing. But as I watched it, I was like, wow, this is, there's a lot of, there's 20 years later. There's a there's an echo of it, but not clearly enough that it felt it felt. But you really had. But for me, who knows every shot? I was yeah. like, boy, I, I didn't realize 
because I was in the scene. I sort of just set it up and That's, like here yeah. it is. And the apartment also has sort of washed out because yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, lot of wall, color on there. Yeah. And that was with, with with swingers as well. And I guess it was back because it was outside. So yeah, I'm, I guess I'm drawn to that that sense of the home as like this cell. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. prison cell. Yeah. <laughs> and he was he's going back to it. It was just yeah. it was such a good like you know and was, a one sided phone call with 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 emotional impact too, which is also which I did notice as we were doing that. Yeah, and uh, but. You know, it, it's really in a, you're, you're seeing. Um, that's what's nice about having a very pure uh, expression in a movie of something that's just coming out of your brain, and you're not going through the gauntlet of scrutiny or or adjustment. Is you're going to get a very clear snapshot of what's interesting to me at this moment, and and what's interesting is in its pure form, it does go back to the last time I, I had that. Uh, freedom, which was to to just write something and then take that script and get it made. Yeah, and you know I haven't really done that since since I've rewritten. I've done work on Elf. I've rewritten and done work on Iron Man. I've done work on things that have not been made, things that have been made. The page to uh, screen, uh, but just yeah. write from your guts onto the page. Uh, make certain adjustments, but not so much, and not really question what it is or what it's about. But just know that it's it's inspired, and then have that hit the screen in a very uh, accurate way is um, again not not for the faint of heart and not something I, I think I'm going to be doing all the time but boy <laughs> do I did I have I had the best time on this one and I'm so happy with how it turned out so it was yeah. a really good really gratifying year you me. can tell like there's it, the movie is just so fun to watch and just there's Thank you. I like the way it was. You were able to talk about just like food culture and internet culture and like you know parenting and also just there was a road trip aspect to it yeah and, which and, was like that's yeah. like, like like Easy Rider. Like they just took the camera and the motorcycles and they just went across the yeah. south. It was like, let's do that. Yeah, like, let's go great. to Austin and New Orleans and let's just let that be our backdrop. Why not? Yeah, why not? And uh, you know, we spent like a day or two in each city. Like it wasn't oh, no way. We spent a day in Austin. We shot all that stuff. And uh, you know, so it's just it just had that freedom of you know, and and then also shooting like first Friday at Abikini in Venice with all the food yeah. trucks. Uh, let, you know, uh, while it was really on, and put up signs saying, "Hey, if you're here, you're going to be in the in the movie." Yeah. <laughs> and to get that energy, like Swingers had of the real environment. So yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what I think. In each town you went in, it just that is another thing that reminds me. Swingers so indicative of like the east side of just like you know, Los yeah. Fields and you know yeah. the neighborhoods I've lived in since I moved out here. Yeah. But it's just like you know, like when you went to Austin, it was just like, oh, it's a cool like Austin outdoor. You and know, by Gueros and there yeah. by like you know by you know like the right. Neighborhood. Yes. The same thing. And we went to like Frenchman Street and the Marigny. And we yeah. didn't go to like Bourbon Street. We went to the yeah. cool spots in each town yeah. and had the cool music playing. And get that, again, the authenticity of it. Because everything they want you to do when they give you the money, it's like, okay, well, if we go to this city, we could get a rebate and you could make it look like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, It's like you don't get it. It's the real, like, I really have to go to Little Havana and really go to this Cuban club, Hoy Como Air, because that's where I saw a real band and that's what I want to feel like. I don't want it to just be some place that we hang up signage yeah. in in the valley. You know, it ha- and the extras look different and the band should be from there. And so between the music and the food, it it, it got, you know, there's a real texture to it that gets rubbed away so quickly on the big studio films. And just being a soft R, to be honest with you, where... You know, it's no worse than something you can watch on YouTube. We drop more than one f bomb, and now, now all of a sudden we're R, which was the same thing with Swingers, the same yeah, thing with silly. me. I mean, there's yeah, nothing, there's really nothing about the movie that I would go. That's an R-rated comedy. Yeah, when you said that earlier, I was actually no. confused by it. 
but you can't have, you know, I want the, 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 the chefs, you know, are like kitchens are not PG places. There's our language in, in the kitchen. They've been to it on Xbox Live. Do they not know? That's what I'm saying. Teenagers are, My kids yeah. watch, you know, but the problem is that the model of, and this is part of why, you know, the digital age is, you know, encroaching on the movies because the, the movies are still, you know, you could cut people's heads off or have, you know, uh, <laughs> PG-13. PG yeah. uh, and But if you if you have, you know... One fuck might slip by a kid, I guess. But two, now you're in trouble. <laughs> now you got problems. Uh, but that was what I wanted the characters to speak in a real way. And yeah. um, and so, so, so it is that. But again, just if you keep the budget down, you could have that freedom. But I just want to do all the things that I wouldn't, would never be allowed to do. All the little changes you make to double your take at the box office. You know, PG movies don't do much better than R movies. Unless it's a shocking R, like a horror movie or yeah. like a, a, a brash comedy that takes full advantage of it. But this is something where, you know, you lose some of your audience. But I think the audience you get is going to feel more closely connected to it. And, and certainly I'm going to feel more connected to it. Yeah. And and that was, uh, I just wanted to be something, have something that was a sincere expression of what I was going after. Yeah, Anytime been... you want to promote something or even just come yeah. on, you yeah. are more than welcome to, I mean, not that you're... you're Anytime. I like talking. You're easy to talk to. My God. It's so much fun. You well, know? please. Shoot me an email anytime. I'm we got just... a lot of um, also like uh, j- j- I think all the Jungle Book stuff once that starts to uh, come up when with the technology. My favorite, my favorite Disney film. Is it? Yeah. Jungle Book my favorite. Well, are you really... doing more Roger Kipling or are you doing more Well, Disney? we're trying. I mean, the, the, the what's cool about it is that we have both. And the Kipling is great because it's this. I love, you know, the, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan and that whole Joseph Campbell approach too. Mythic archetypes uh, is so uh, intrinsic to the the Kipling work, but the Kipling work has a, a very uh, harsh tone yeah. at its core. And most people's experience with Jungle Book was the '67 animated film yeah. that definitely drew upon it. But it was more it was it was Walt's last movie, and there's this cool endless summer vibe to the bonding of him and Baloo that is not necessarily implied in the Kipling and but that's part of our DNA as a Disney film. So I want to see if I could preserve uh some of the tone of 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 the of the Disney film while exploring you know you're able to make things a little more adventurous and intense and and real world by by pulling in facts from the Kipling and I was very well served in the in in, in the Marvel world by paying honor to the underlying the underlying IP, but still trying to preserve the tone of what that medium pr- presented. So there was a fun, there was there was a personality to Iron Man as they, as was expressed in, in in the books, and there's a tone implied by the film version. But there's there's a cool intensity and something that makes it feel a little bit more relevant and a little bit more exciting and if you could combine the two in a way that doesn't betray either that's the sweet spot for me and so as we're pull, starting to pull cast in you know it's 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 getting very exciting and the process could take a whole other hour to talk about what we're learning and and, and the approach that we're taking because it's it's really an interesting way to break use this technology that i got to play with with, with iron man in a way that now delves into not just the world of spectacle and humor, but also into the world of emotion and yeah. and showing things that you couldn't show 
10 years ago. Because isn't that it? Why redo it? Well, you only redo it if there's a reason to. Yeah. If there's a, if there's a, uh, if you could do something now that you couldn't do, like you couldn't do Iron Man 10 years before. No, no, no. It wouldn't have been possible. But in a post-Transformers world, now hard surfaces were much more convincing and it didn't take you out of the movie to see it. I did. I got, um, the Nerdist produced a, we we helped produce a contest for Make-A-Wish and the prize was to go to the ranch and, Mm -hmm. and, and have breakfast with George. He talked for like an hour and a half. Yeah. Just all these incredible stories about about how multiplexes were born on the yes. backs of, you know, of Jaws and Godfather yes. and Star Wars all coming out and all this stuff. And uh, he said, you know, and in just the course of the conversation, which made me go, aha, he's cool, he's aware. He goes, you know, everyone hated Jar Jar Binks, but if it hadn't been for Jar Jar Binks, there wouldn't have been an avatar, you know? Uh. <laughs> like, we had to develop the technology. And he also described... He said after American Graffiti got popular, um, it, it blew up. Alan Ladd said to him, like, what movie do you want to do next? And he was like, I thought I was crazy. I thought I wanted to do a, I don't know, it's a space opera where a dog flies a starship. That's He's so, I mean, it, he's not kidding with that edit droid that's the avid. Pixar, so much of it came out of his... his, you know, that little hot rod builder from Northern California, that skinny yeah. kid... That same brain is what made all those innovations happen that allow us to do everything we do and all this freedom that we have. Do you know what he's doing now? No, I don't. He basically has set aside a shit ton of money and he's just making art films. Is oh, really cool. That he's never going to show anyone. Like they, oh. The guys asked at the table, so like they just couldn't understand. They were like, so you're going to show these in limited release? He's like, no, I'm not going to show anybody. They're just for me. He's going to make like that's awesome. right. just for the rest that's of his really life. Cool. Making these like five million dollar art films that are experimental, which is he what loves, he always wanted to do. He loved tone poems, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's it. His thing. That's all he's going to do. Although I would love him to do, you know, I'd love to see what his American graffiti is now. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. his chef. Like coming back way later I and doing a more him, even if it's just about what it's like to be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to see that movie or what it's like to 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 be you know to to have that much attention on him. And he clearly is aware and has a sense of humor. I keep thinking of how the robot chicken stuff. Where oh yeah, yeah. Riding with the guy dressed as the Tauntaun around. <laughs> you, remember, you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Well, you can't. I mean, you can't. He's he's un. Um, he's so, you, you can't knock him off. Like he has prepared for anything that you could say to him. Because yeah. my girlfriend's dad did the special effects for Star Wars, and the first time I met him, I wore this like original crew shirt, uh-huh. which wow. I thought he was going to be like, "Oh my god, I, mean, I haven't seen." This. I mean, I, this is amazing. You, you know? win. Yeah, <laughs> you, you get the chocolate factory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, then we get into uh, Longer Vader, and I've, he goes I've been waiting for you. And, and what ended up happening was. I mean, I kept positioning myself where my chest was in full view, and uh, and finally, <laughs> I just I ruined it. And I was like, "By the way, this is an, ori- no. <laughs> an original Star Wars." And he was like, "Yeah, I know." No, <laughs> <you> know. <laughs> That's great. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide, and best of all, 
there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promised to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drop from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.